the search continues for Mike Tannehill, former faith detective, and I'm sniffing out all leads, like a dog with a really good nose that sniffs out all leads. Sorry, today I think my metaphor maker is on the fritz, like a thing that usually helps you try to understand another thing from a different and otherwise kind of random perspective, but in this case it's but in this case it's just oh shit, it's it's just not happening. But do you know what is happening? Signs are happening. Stop signs. Sign language. Those signals that the third base coach gives people on the baseball field when they're running right yeah, signs. Signs happen. You know what else is happening? Time. Time is happening. Look at your clock. It's just moving. Tick, tick, tick. Time is happening. Put them both together and what do you have? Signs of the times. So signs of times, that's happening too. I, I know, right? I just figured that out all by myself. Even though the obviousness of it was just right in front of my nose the entire time. Yeah, I know. It's part of what makes me such a good faith detective. <laughs> John Hammond says now. And you know what else? You know how scary it is to think about the end of the world? Yeah, it's scary. I think so too. But you know what makes it even scarier? Having that discussion with Mike Tannehill, like the infants did back in April 2013. This was their 14th episode. And it was long, but interesting. If you like long discussions about the end of the world. John says now. Like I do. Rank McBadden, Faith Detective. And my leg is getting tired of this. That's right. My leg. Okay, on three, we'll do five. <laughs> okay, ready? Five. 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 Four. Four. Three. Three. Two. two one. one. <laughs> that sucks. This is Infants on Thrones. Philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are the Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm your host, Glenn Osland. Near the end of the 9th century, thousands of British islanders died and suffered from a severe lack of food. Now, there hadn't been a famine. Farmers had simply not planted their fall harvest, convinced that Jesus would return before it would be time to reap it. In 1993, a self-proclaimed prophet named David Koresh incited events that led to an incendiary siege near Waco, Texas, and it ended with the death of 86 people. In 1995, the Aum Shinji-kyo doomsday cult unleashed a sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway system, seriously injuring 54 people and affecting the lives of nearly 5,000 more. Now, these groups may be separated by geography, culture, and time, but they all share at least one common element. An ideology that they were a special people living in the end times and a firm conviction that their specialness was all about seeing those end times come to pass. This is what is known as millenarianism. And if you grew up in the Mormon church, like I did, you may find this ideology uncomfortably familiar. The official name of the Mormon church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
Now, we used Latter-day because of our millenarian belief that the church was restored specifically to pave the way for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith taught the early saints that they were literally building the kingdom where Jesus would return and reign. Early Mormons built cities out of wilderness, swampland, and deserts. They trekked hundreds of miles by foot. They valiantly put their shoulder to the wheel whenever possible, all motivated by a burning belief that the second coming would happen in their lifetimes and a sincere desire to be prepared when it did. One way they kept themselves prepared was seeking out and locating themselves within these various signs of the times. Now, the signs of the times are various scriptural descriptions of what the world will be like immediately before the second coming of Christ. And there's no single authoritative list. There's no single Mormon timeline that details all of the many significant events that are to occur before the end of the world. But the list that I was most familiar with as a kid was Bruce R. McConkie's list that you can find in his book, Mormon Doctrine. McConkie methodically details 51 signs of the times, many of which had already happened, and several that were evidenced by the very existence of Mormonism itself. Now, I won't go into all their details here, but I did sit down recently with my three kids, my fiance, and her two daughters to count down these 51 signs of the times for you. So here they are. Okay, so... These are the signs of the times for the second coming. Have you heard about these, Emma? The signs mm-hmm. of the times? No. no. <laughs> Do you know what they are? Uh, something about church. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So... What I'm going to do is this is a list of all of the things that are supposed to happen before Jesus comes back. I'm tired. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I am going to ask you guys to read this because I want to hear this in your voices. So, Emma, read this one. Many false churches. Apostate darkness covers earth. Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. Discovery and use of printing. Protestant Reformation and Age of Renaissance. Discovery and Colonization of America. Establishment of the American Nation. Translation and Printing of the Bible. Establishment of the U.S. Constitution. Say Latter Day. Latter Day. Revelation. No, say Revelation. Revelation. Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Forth of the Book of Mormon. Opposition to the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Musical. Musical. Restoration of keys and priesthood. It's good that I read that one. I mean. Yeah. Restoration ah. of the gospel. Messenger to precede second coming. Church and kingdom set up again. Say growth of the church. Growth of the church. Okay. And say gathering of Israel. Gathering of Israel. Times of Gentiles being fulfilled. Return of tribe of Judah to Jerusalem. Jews begin to believe in Christ. Building of Latter-day temples. Lord to come suddenly to temple. Spirit of Elijah and genealogical research. Persecution of the saints. Persecution of the Jews. Peace taken from earth. Refusal of men to believe signs of times. Ten times to return. True gospel to be preached to all the world. Worldly knowledge to increase. Scientific and inventive process. <laughs> Progress. Disease, plague, and pestilence to sweeper. Elements and commotion. Disasters and calamities to abound. 
social unrest, corruption, violence to increase. Yesterday, wickedness. Holy Spirit ceasing to strive with wicked. Angels now reaping the earth. Wars and rumors of wars. Famine, suppressions, and economic turmoil. Lamanites to blossom as the rose. Sorrow and fear. Beginning of the construction of the Temple of the New Jerusalem in Independence, Missouri. Signs on earth and heaven. <laughs> the gathering at Adam on Diamond. Say final great war. Final great war. Fall of the great and abominable church. Special mission in Jerusalem of two Latter-day prophets. Oh. All right. Thank you, kids. All right. Now I'm going to record it. You haven't recorded it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, McConkie first published Mormon Doctrine in 1958. And if you read his descriptions, you can see that he described these signs as mostly all fulfilled. Now, this was just a few decades before the year 2000, and McConkie, along with many other Mormons, believed that the return of Christ was very close at hand. Many stories abounded of patriarchal blessings and other prophetic utterances that declared this generation would be the generation that would finally see the second coming of Christ. I know I was told this, and it fascinated me. As a young teen and well into my early 20s, I would look at the world through these millenarian eyes. I still remember watching the news one night in January 1991 as the U.S. began Operation Desert Storm in Iraq. And this was just as I was leaving for my mission. I was convinced that this would culminate in the Battle of Armageddon, predicted to be the great and final war before the return of Christ. It was one of the signs on McConkie's list that was still pending. And after a few weeks in the missionary training center, I became convinced that the Japanese people that I'd been called to teach were in fact the lost tribes of Israel, and that my mission would, at least in some small way, culminate in the return of these lost tribes, another sign yet to be fulfilled. A few years later, when I was a student at BYU, I focused on the signs of the times for a collection project in an entry-level folklore class. I'm sure that project still exists in the folklore archives at BYU, although I haven't looked at it for years. To gather information, I tape-recorded a number of interviews with family members and various groups of friends, and I asked them what they knew about the signs of the times and when they expected the second coming to happen. Now, this was around 1994 or 95, and most of them expected it to happen within five to ten years. They all mentioned at least a few of these 51 signs listed by McConkie, and they also mentioned the whole signs of the times thing really scared them to death, especially how wicked the world was getting these days. But if they lived righteously, ultimately, they would have nothing to fear. I still have these tapes, and I toyed with the idea of including some of the audio here, but the quality is really bad, and I'd have to track down these people to get their permission, so you'll just have to trust me when I tell you that most of these people expected something big on or around the year 2000. But guess what? The year 2000 came and went with no second coming of Christ and no new significant advancement in any of these signs of the times. Whatever is a millenarian to do? Well, there was a fascinating study conducted in the 1950s by social psychologist Leon Festinger. This is all published in the classic book, When Prophecy Fails, a social and psychological study of a modern group that predicts the destruction of the world. He wasn't known for his concise titles. Essentially, Festinger was able to infiltrate a small UFO cult led by a woman who claimed that she was channeling messages from an extraterrestrial on the planet Clarion. The world was predicted to end in a great flood before dawn on December 21st, 1954. 
They sold their possessions, they alienated non-believing family members, and they gathered together for the appointed time, but nothing actually happened. So when this prophecy failed, rather than altering their beliefs and returning to their previous lives, the members of this cult reinterpreted their signs, they set a new future date, and they began an active campaign of proselytization. Because hey, if you can convince other people to accept your beliefs, then your beliefs must be pretty worthy of acceptance, right? The more believers, the easier it is to maintain the belief, and the easier it is to deal with the dissonance of continually failing expectations. So given Festinger's findings, it's not surprising to see the institutional emphasis in missionary work within the LDS Church that started from our earliest days when Mormons would build their New Jerusalem, only to see it fail time and time again. And after the year 2000, when our most recent generation of believers saw these expectations come and go, it's not surprising to see that there's distance now being placed between the signs of the times and the, the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. In 2004, another book was written on the signs of the times uh, by a guy named Dwayne S. Crowthers. It's a great departure from McConkie, where McConkie placed us near the end of the signs of the times. Crowther's places us near the beginning of it, where there's possibly hundreds of years between now and when the second coming will happen. And in October 2011, senior apostle Boyd K. Packer had the following to say about the timing of the ending of the world. Sometimes you might be tempted to think as I did from time to time by you. The way things are going, the world going to be over the end of the world is going to come before I get to where I should be. Not so. You can look forward to doing it right. Getting married, having a family, seeing your children, grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren. Now, as I've been going through all of this material and listening to these interviews that we've done, I've got this nagging question. How helpful or healthy is it to go through life with a millenarian worldview? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's very healthy, to be honest. But this podcast explores the whole idea of signs of the times. But more specifically, it's the way that those signs influence the way that we see the world. So our first segment is a conversation between Bob and Logan as they discuss the way they viewed the signs of the times in their youth. Our final segment is a panel discussion between myself, Tom, Bob, Jesse, and our special guest, Mike Tannehill. Now, Mike, to me, is the epitome of a modern millenarian worldview. And listening to him talk about the signs of the times, I can hear the sense of specialness that sets millenarians apart from the rest of the world around them. I also hear the way that modern events are reinterpreted and reprocessed to fit into a larger universal narrative. So we've got this recorded. It's a pretty long podcast. We're going at over two hours, but I hope you'll find it interesting. And without any further ado, I give you Bob. Turn it over to you, Bob. So I'm here with my good friend, Logan. And uh, Logan and I, incidentally, we, we podcast on another podcast called Practically Ideal. And also, just as incidentally, I, I suppose you could say, we have a shared background in Mormonism. And, uh, well, let me, let me have Logan introduce himself. You, I think you've heard him before. He's been on the Mormon podcast circuit plenty. Yeah, rock and roll. I'm um, here. Nice to be with you, Bob. I'm Logan. <laughs> Sweet. Thanks for being here, Logan. So you and I grew up together, um, at least the formative years when we were in high school and that sort of thing. And we were both uh, active Mormon, you could say. Is, is that, do you want to characterize your uh, formative Mormon years in a different way? Or is that uh, pretty accurate? 
No, Active Mormon says pretty much all there is to say, I think. Okay. Well, the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast and specifically talking about Signs of the Times is because um, your family, especially growing up in our little community, was sort of branded as more of a liberal Mormon family um, in a way that really appealed to me and was part of my identity growing up. I, I used to have dinners on Sundays at your family's house pretty frequently, and we'd have these epic discussions about Mormon doctrine and how it's not always everything exactly how the brethren say it. And uh, <laughs> I think that's where I was first introduced to things like fair and farms, and at the time that seemed like you know really intellectual and places that could answer lots of difficult questions. And it was, it was a great time. It was a good experience. And for the life of me, I can't remember exactly how Signs of the Times fits into that, um, but I thought your memory might serve you better than mine, because I also have my own family and how they approach Signs of the Times, which we'll get into a little bit. But how did Signs of the Times, as a doctrine and as a part of Mormonism, how did it play its, itself into those um, conversations or your upbringing? Well, you know, when you put it that way, that gives me a whole different spit on this than I was originally going to take with it. So, oh, really? Well, do both. <laughs> yeah. So in my family, like you say, um, fairly, I guess we'll call it liberal. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would call us pretty conservative. Uh, and I always got the hint that our family was, was seen as slightly out there, although we thought we were not that much out there. Anyway, um, so what that meant, though, was that there were certain things we talked about in our family, and my dad took his responsibility as priest to told her very seriously to teach us what he thought was important. Um, you know, the pure gospel, the the important covenants, his testimony, things like that. But what that meant was all the secondary, like indirect sorts of education you get as a Mormon were just there, and he didn't necessarily know where that was coming from and what was coming. Uh, and so I had like two different Mormon upbringings and signs of the times was probably in that second one where I would hear it in, in young men's or in seminary or things like that. And it didn't really come up that much. Um, so what that meant was, um, I didn't really think through it or talk about it or have a very sophisticated understanding. And in a way that made it so I was even, uh, even more unsure or even scared about some of those things because, you know, we didn't talk about them. I didn't even think to talk about them. Interesting. So I'm not misremembering because I always thought that it would be the perfect subject of conversation for an epic philosophical conversation at the, you know, at, at your parents' home. But apparently we always sidestepped it indirectly because your dad just uh, wasn't really on his radar as that important thing as part of the pure gospel or however you put it, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, certainly in our circle, um, Sunday dinners were legendary and great time to talk about things. But no, that's not how I viewed signs of the times. It was always like uh, I'd hear something on the news, like there's always something about what's going on in Israel. And you're like, oh, crap, could this be it? And I don't know if you're like me, but you always had uh, or I always had this half fear and half excitement about the end times. Um, like sometimes I was really worried. Everyone is so excited about when Christ is going to come again, but I was always secretly worried if I was really going to be on the good team or the bad team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had that feeling. And I think we were right at the stage where there was a transition happening in the church in the sense that, uh, 
growing up in the 80s, Signs of the Times was still in full force in terms of something that could happen at any time around the corner. Like, year 2000 hadn't happened, and, um, you know, even if the calendar's a little off, it's still the end of the dispensation or whatever. So it, my family always taught it like, well, if it's not, you know, soon after the year 2000, it's probably within 50 years. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because... Like, it's been years since I've thought much about this stuff. But, I mean, I was a missionary over the year 2000. And uh, to be quite honest, I, I think half of us sort of expected that uh, something big would happen. Right. Um, it would be more meaningful than just another new year. Like, in some ways, I still remember where I was for, like, the year 2000 New Year party, even though it was on a mission, than, like, the one in 1998 <laughs> or 2001, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I remember things like my, my grandma saying, the second coming will happen in your lifetime. I think you'll be about, I don't know, maybe 50 years old. Like, oh, whoa, 50. <laughs> she's just, like, spitballing, but it seemed <laughs> <Yeah>. like doctrine. <laughs> yeah, she's like, no, I'm sure I'll be dead, but I'm sure you'll be alive. Oh, yeah, wow. so, um, so there's that aspect of it, but I'm also wondering... Like, did you ever think it was kooky or crazy or um, just dis did you ever were you ever dismissive of it or did you just avoid it because you didn't want to be dismissive of it? Because I remember with my family, my mom was really big into like the lost 10 tribes coming out of the polar ice caps. And um, part of me would laugh it off, but then part of me would be secretly like, wait, where is she getting that from and why uh, – is that even remotely close to being a doctrine? And yeah, so I'm wondering how you, how you dealt with those kind of slightly kookier aspects. Well, you know, here's, here's how I think I dealt with them. I was actually kind of, kind of scared and really worried. I took them kind of seriously, even though, or that was on the inside, but on the outside, um, you know, I would come up with a lot of, a lot of justifications or reasons why it wouldn't happen yet. I mean, like on the mission, it was like, well, you know, the millennium isn't really until 2001, so you know, <laughs> it may not happen, but probably next year, you know, things like that. And I, I would put on a brave, a brave uh, exterior, but I, I don't know. I think I was secretly kind of worried growing up. Did you ever see any signs of the times yourself and think like, oh, this is like, this is the first war. Like the Gulf War was a big thing in the early nineties. And, and I remember hearing that being signs of the times related or um, some natural disaster happens. And it's like, you see, there are lots of these and it's just taken out of context. And I don't know. Yeah. I, I think both of those also, one of the things that really early on really got me, but then sort of before, um, you know, I became disaffected from the church I think you and I both were, were transitioning out of this, but, but I remember things like the world is getting more and more evil. Yes. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. And so things like uh, – I, I mean it's hard to know. I think on the one hand we were just young and living in Utah, so we didn't hear much about uh, like homosexuals, gays, things like that. On the other hand, the whole country was at the exact same time becoming – uh, more comfortable with those. So we had the double whammy there. Right, right. But it it's sounded like, like uh-oh, signs of the times, the world is getting more evil. I can't imagine more evil than this, so it's got to happen soon. Right, like gay marriage is the equivalent of cannibalism or something, which was always my token thing to reference as like, well, life has improved over time if you think about it, you know. And I remember having some cognitive dissonance with that because on the one hand, 
um, I really didn't think it was the most evil time to be living. And I was pretty grateful and, and pretty self-aware of technology, modern industrialization, all the modern medicine benefits, all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, it's not that bad living in this day and age. But at the same time, there's the other side of me that's like... Nintendo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Nintendo. Then the other side of me was like, but the signs of the times, people are so wicked because of things like uh, gays? I guess that's wicked. <laughs> <sighs> and I, I was having a hard time coming up with like really wicked stuff. But it was always out there as like, I don't know, things that have to do with nudity and <laughs> don't forget alcohol or oh uh, yes yeah smoking that vile crime <laughs> all these things must be in, increasing in intensity right because the world's getting more wicked you know not realizing that for one half of these things you know it's arguable whether or not they're quote-unquote wicked <laughs> well did it make a difference for you that you had lived like outside of utah when you were very young i mean because I never had, but by the time you got to Utah, you were still, you know, relatively young, but you'd probably known a lot more people who weren't living the gospel than I had. Yeah, I, it didn't make as much of a difference as you think. I, I mean, I was 10 or 11, I think, by the time I got to Utah, and the church is pretty good at having a, a way to insulate or... Um, my family was pretty close, and most of our friends were ward members. Although I did have some cousins and neighbors that were not Mormon, and I remember just behavioral differences that were like, oh, that's like the wickedness, and they don't even know it, you know? <laughs> right. I, I, <laughs> this is a slight tangent, but it kind of goes hand in hand with the world getting more wicked. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine when we were like six, maybe, uh, in fact, you know him, Adam, who was my friend back then. Yeah. We had this third friend who was not a Mormon. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and we thought, <laughs> we got to do something. Otherwise, this guy's going to grow up to drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's like your goal in life is to prevent that one aspect of a right. bad life from happening. So we cornered him one time like, hey, man, we're really worried about you. You need to read the Book of Mormon. I'm like, why? My grandma has that book. I, it's boring. <laughs> well, listen, if you don't read it, we're afraid you're going to go up to drink beer. We just <laughs> blurted out. Like, so what? My dad drinks beer. And we're like, we're like, oh, no, it's worse than I thought. It's too late. <laughs> the world is getting more wicked. Um, Pray with us. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of what it was <laughs> what it was like for us. I mean, we were, we were young at that time, especially. But, but yeah, we didn't – I didn't know too many people who weren't Mormon. And so – you know, seeing other people, it was just, it was easy to, uh, you know, non-Mormons not living the gospel. It was yeah. easy to say, oh, more and more of these people are coming. The world's totally getting more wicked. I'm so glad I live here in Utah where I don't see as much wickedness, but it's coming. Right, right. So uh, last question for you. Uh, how did this play into your dis disaffection with the church, if at all? I'm just curious if Signs of the Times was a token like, and another thing, this is all bullshit. Or if it was like, eh, that's neither here nor there. It's kooky, and now I can say it is. Um, when, you, when you put it the, and another thing, um, yeah, I don't think it was very central to, to my disaffection. Uh, it wasn't, you know, as lawyers say, the proximate cause or anything. But it is in that category of things that where, where once you switch and have a different mindset, it's just like, oh. Yeah, this is just one more thing that was complete bullshit. I can't believe I ever bought into this at all. Um, so it would it would sneak in there even when I was on the fence. 
I would, I would like harass elders, quorum presidents, <laughs> and things like that, uh, and lessons like that. Just and might put a little extra charge into it because because uh, it was something that you could maybe sort of have a difference of opinion on. Even though I was really having a difference of opinion on the whole church, this was just symbolic of that. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the same for me. It, it almost turned into something where, and this this is going to sound patronizing, but it was almost like a an area where I had pity for active Mormons because on the outside looking in, it does seem really problematic as, as just like a pinata waiting to be beat up um, in terms of the kookiness involved with all of these revelations and um, crazy doctrines that sort of get a free pass because there are certain parts of Christianity that believe certain flavors of, of these things as well. But Mormonism being as literal as it is with other topics being that literal with like John the Revelator stuff, just it doesn't do it any favors as a religion trying to go mainstream, right? Yeah, well, that's an interesting point because as much as I secretly worried about it, or maybe even not so secretly sometimes, I felt like uh, it wasn't something you really talked about unless it was with other Mormons. So even as a Mormon, if I would hear uh, some other religion say something about you know, the Gulf War um, uh, being a sign of the times or anything being a sign of the times. I I feel like it's even the Mormon in me is like, no, 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 don't talk about that. That's not a reason to base your, your public policy on. You're a crazy one. We had the good sense to keep it, you know, inside the family, so to speak. <laughs> Mormons are really quick to do this sort of thing because it's the same with like polygamy and any like problematic Mormon doctrine is, is like in, spoken of in a hush-hush tone. It's like, Oh, now that you've been a member for a long time, we need to take you um, over here into this corner and talk to you about some uh, uh, doctrines. Um, so polygamy, it's okay because of all of these ways that it's not as bad as it could have been. And signs of the times make sense because um, if you read here in the scriptures, but then like somebody on the outside from another religion has a, po- a polygamy problem or a signs of the times thing. And we're like, <laughs> look at those crazy nuts over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't believe that. it. And it's like, why are you talking to such a you know, quiet voice and you don't want to bring it up when uh, people are trying to figure things out about the church? Before joining it, you only tell them about these things after they join it, and you get back to the quiet voice. Oh well, I mean, you know, you don't want to put uh, meat before milk, and uh, uh, God works in mysterious ways, and it's it's all good. Yeah, I feel like that actually says so much about Mormonism. It's like having uh, different Georges, and you never let your Georges collide, to use a Seinfeld <laughs> reference. But yeah, it's having two different aspects of you that are completely separate. That's very Mormon somehow. Right. There's like the Mormon surface level PR face, Mitt Romney smile handshake. And then there's the like back room, like we're all Mormons. We can talk about batshit crazy stuff, right? Okay, good. I just want to make sure there's nobody here from the press because. <laughs> yeah. And Signs of the Times was one of those. That's, yeah, that's where it fits in. All right. Well, thanks, Logan. Uh, I think this was a lot of fun. This was really great to hear your, your side of it. And uh, yeah. Groovy. Later. Why is the signs of the times important? Well, we were originally talking about it because uh, the end of the world was approaching. And we were all going to die because of the Mayans couldn't keep carving in stone for much longer. So. Now, hang on. You said you just said was coming. Is it postponed yeah. now? Or is it canceled uh, altogether? We, we passed the point of the calendar, so I guess we're all okay so far. Oh, you're talking about the Mayans. I thought you meant like the Mormon end of the days kind of thing. 
Oh, no, that's a long ways off. <laughs> long way. Wait, wait, yeah, that, what, that why was why like you say 1891, that? Tom. Am I, am I spoiling <laughs> the end? <laughs> long ways off. Wait. Uh, according to the yeah. signs of the times, we're barely getting started. Yeah, but you're, talking, making, you're making it sound really? like you're quoting from a document or something. Like what? According to the signs of the times, what is is, is there a particular author? Well, or? For, yeah, for those that are interested, I I use Dwayne S. Crowther's Prophecy Key to the Future, a favorite among many Mormon households. Okay. And so, I, I uh, did Sarah McConkie's Mormon Doctrine. I'm ready. <laughs> and. I, I'm just going by my memory of that stuff because I I loved the signs of the times in McConkie. You know, I didn't but, uh, even check. Yeah, I, I I'd like go in with the highlighter and like highlight the things that had already happened and kind of like check, check, check. My favorite one was uh, the the lost tribes returning. You know, and and James E. Talmadge in that 1912 conference saying that they're going to come back. They're going to have the records. There's those here living that'll read them. And so I'd, I'd think, all right, we're it's getting close, it's getting close, it's getting close. And I think we passed the expiration <laughs> you, date you, on that you, one. Did you guys have Mormon friends who were, like, tracking the oldest living person in the world just as, like, a barometer for that revelation? Because I did. No. I was that. I was that <laughs> guy. Yeah. That's awesome, Bob. <laughs> well, uh, Brother Crowther does a few things. I, I've got a whole list here of signs, and I, I guess we'll just... Start in on them. Yeah, how, how long is his list? Because uh, McConkie's got 51. 50 wasn't good enough. 51. Well, I got eight pages of, of, of notes here. Uh, let me see if I can count these down. Hey, One, hey, two, three, five, six. Hey, Mike. Yes? Before we, before we go there, can we just state clearly what we're talking about here in terms of the, sign, the signs of the times of, of what? Like, what does that mean? Okay, uh... It's the sign of what you might call the signs of the end times. Uh, this is the things where, this is kind of a checklist to Christ is, is going to make his second coming, and, it, and all the work of this world is going to be wrapped up. Because according to Mormon theology, uh, this earth was created to advance spirits assigned to this world. And so it, it's appointed a certain amount of time, like school will last for this many semesters, and then... We're done. We're going to close up the school. And so these are the signs of the times of recognizing the end of things are approaching. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I just, yeah, wanted, let me, I just wanted to clarify that. Can I quote some McConkie? This won't take too long. But, no, uh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, under signs of the times, it says, See abomination of desolation, last days, second coming of Christ. And then his one-sentence opener is, in every age, the Lord sends forth clearly discernible signs and warnings so that those who are spiritually inclined can know of his hand dealings with men. And I really liked uh, what he said under abomination of desolation um, because he talks about how Daniel spoke prophetically of a day when there would, when there would be the abomination that maketh desolate. Um, aside from the prophetic setting and relying solely on the plain meaning of the words, we would conclude that this phrase, abomination of desolation, would have reference to some great act or status of corruption and befoulment of filthiness, which would bring to pass destruction, ruination, devastation, desolation. Such is the case, period. I just, um, I just loved, you know, the 27 adjectives of destruction and horrible things. 
Yeah, I always took that to mean that the uh, the Holy of Holies was desecrated, as well oh, yeah. as I understand it to mean. What's the Holy of Holies? Uh, that's where the prophet goes to speak with the Lord to run the church. So that means the temple will be desecrated. How? Uh, lots of nasty things are going to happen. I guess, but how, I mean, is is that like the, the church itself goes into apostasy kind of thing? Uh, Desecra- is that what you're thinking? I, I would think that uh, in the coming wars and, and the time Satan's going to reign for a period of time that at some point they get in the temple and, and desecrate the holy bullies. I'd say that of these 51 signs of the times that Bruce R. McConkie outlines, probably more than two-thirds are really, you know, God loves us in a very cruel sort of sick and twisted way, if this is his way of showing it by how he's going to end the world. Um, but such is the case, you know. That's just the way things work, right, because there's a lot of wickedness. Um, and, uh, yeah, God needs to teach us a lesson by destroying us in, like, 50 different ways. <laughs> I don't think it works like that. I think just uh, part of this life is learning to deal with chaos because it, it, you consider how God operates. He goes into chaotic areas and organizes intelligence and organizes worlds. So he's teaching us to deal with really nasty things that he has to deal with all the time. So if we're going to learn to be like the Lord, we need to learn to stand on our own in the face of chaos and horrible things. But, but yeah, but remember that it says in this opening paragraph that all can know of his hand dealings with men. So I'm emphasizing hand dealings. So this implies that the signs of the times are things where God reaches in and mixes up the, the elements to show us that something is happening that's in his control. And if two-thirds of these are like nasty ways for people to die, I'm just pointing out the obvious that God, hence, is uh, directly involved with famine, starvation, natural disasters, all sorts of crazy stuff that... Um, you know, in the in the non-religious world, would would make God not seem like our friend. I can see where you're saying that. That if He allows these things to happen because this time period has come, then He's removing His hand of protection or right. causing things. To, yeah. So okay, what's well, the difference? But what's the difference between God letting something terrible happen or God actually causing something terrible happen? Is there a difference? Uh, one is that he just isn't going to protect, and the other one is he needs something to occur to move something forward, to progress a, a timeline or event. Is is one make does one make God look more favorable than the other? Like absolutely, that's, that's you know that's a loving God if he just withdraws his hand, but if he comes down and smites people. Right, and that's yeah, I, not a loving God, right? I don't think Mormon theology um, can. Maybe Mike can enlighten us, but I don't think it says one way or the other. Like, for example, are we going to have more earthquakes now because of God coming and giving us more earthquakes, or is it just that we would have had a lot more earthquakes in the past, but and the ones that trickled through were just like the light version because God's been stopping a lot of earthquakes. Um, I don't know which scenario, I mean, potato, potato, in the end, it's, I guess, the same thing. There's going to be more earthquakes, but... Uh, the poetic version is to say that uh, uh, the earth is groaning under wickedness. <laughs> so, so, like, uh, where, where the tectonic plates meet, are those places more wicked than <laughs> all the other, the other places? There's more, there's more homosexuals on the, on the plates, I think. <laughs> well, it is on the, usually on the coastline, so that's kind of a... Yeah, San Francisco, watch out. <laughs> Yep, New York, here we come. The San Andreas, and no Superman to save it. 
So we're, we're making jokes about this, Mike, but like when you're talking about um, this kind of wickedness and abomination in the earth as a sign of the time, that itself is a sign of the time, right? Are, are you seeing that around us? And, you know, like what are, what are the things that you're seeing? Uh, I, I would say when, when the last virtue that anyone's willing to defend is tolerance, that, that's a good sign that things are pretty bad. When the only thing anybody's willing to defend is please put up with other people's garbage, that, that's a bad situation. <laughs> is that how it is now? So we're really close then. Uh, I, well, let, let's go through the list and we'll see how far we are. Sounds good. Um, the, the, I have about 21, roughly. Uh, the first of these is that war is going to be poured out upon all the nations. Uh, the, the scripture references DNC 87, and he just that's just Joseph announcing that. Can we make an agreement just right at the start of this that that if if it's on your list, it's in the scripture somewhere? Because uh, because I really don't want to be. I'm not going to read it. I was just going to reference that if you want to read it, it's there. Yeah. How about how about if you that? guys are how about any any listener who really wants to know, we'll we'll make your email. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, they, they can they can contact you and get all the references. Well, are, are, are the majority, I just don't want to be bogged down with a bunch of references. Are, there, okay. are the majority of these points come from this uh, Crowler's book or whatever Dwayne's book? Is that uh, yeah, that's what I used, and he he kind of goes through and uh, runs through all these. So that's uh, there's a lot of quotes from the early brethren. All right, let's hit us up before Glenn falls asleep. Go. <laughs> okay, Re- really the. The, the point is that war is made to soften regions so that people can receive the gospel in these places. Uh, initially, you're going to see a lot of, of uh, uh, let's see, Orson. That's so stupid. <laughs> these are called, well, there's two types of wars that are going to be happening. There's the first, the preparatory wars, which you've already seen a lot of them. And this is to speed up the spread of the gospel. Um <laughs> Can you give me an example where that's happened? Well, it's uh, like in Vietnam, how they're all totally Mormon now, or Iraq. Well, is that, what, is that what's going or, on here? Or Korea. Well, you, you take a look at something like World War II, where where Americans got used to seeing the whole world and traveling around, and a lot of places were opened up where. People hadn't really been before as far as the spirit of Christianity. They leave scriptures here and there, talk to people. Uh, but wasn't it the fall of uh, the Berlin Wall that started the most expansion of the church missionary program into new areas that was kind of independent of a war happening? Uh, well, that, you, could, you could say that was the end of the World War II, really. 1989? Well, when finally Russia gets out of Germany and they're able to solidify their country and open up to uh you, know, you get things like communism being torn down in the cold war uh, the, all these places open up where the missionaries can get in and teach so would, would you consider the the cold war kind of under the category of a preparatory war yeah i would say that but you also have things like uh freedom of slaves in america where, where they, they get free but you also have freedom in other areas like uh the West Indies, where they rebel against Britain and they're able to stand on their own as a country. All these little things just open up the world to where the gospel can spread. So, Mike, I want to make sure I understand this. So you're saying that the Civil War 
was one of these preparatory things so that African Americans could join the church and have the priesthood withheld until 1978. Uh, I, I guess you could say that. Uh, but but after all these preparatory wars where, where the gospel is able to spread around the world, then you get into what's called the wars of complete destructions. And mm-hmm. one of the signs spoken of Boris and Pratt was this coming, to see this coming is that the saints would begin to serve missions among their own people instead of traveling so much. Once the gospel spread, you know, you get British missionaries that stay in Britain to serve missions there, American missionaries staying in America. Um, and they w- instead of being sent to gather around the world, they're sent among their own people. Uh, and after this period of time comes the end of what's known as the time of the Gentiles. And uh, the world will become unrespe- unreceptive to the message of Christ. Uh, th- this is really a long period of time compressed, but that, uh, so how do these two work together? Cause another sign of the time is that the church is going to have unprecedented growth and so many people are going to join, but then there's another sign of the time. That's like the world's going to get super, super wicked. And we're in a, we're going to get to a time where nobody wants to listen to the gospel. So like which one happens in what order and how do they overlap? That, uh, that's exactly, you're exactly right. The gospel gets preached to all the world. You get lots of temples being built, and then everyone becomes unreceptive, and the church begins to contract. That's where you get the missionaries that are just sent among their own people instead of traveling far and wide. Do you feel like that's happening now? Because the the church sort of peaked at 60,000 missionaries, and I think now it's down to 50,000. It was 50,000, then they announced the thing with the 18-year-olds where they got a flood. Okay, so we we could still be on the upward side before the downward trend. I think that's exactly where you're. I think you're exactly right. We're at that point now, where missionaries are going to serve among their own people, and the world's becoming more atheist, and they're unreceptive to the message of Christ. And then, what you have is at that point, the spirit withdraws from the world. Um, mm-hmm. And you might remember that when uh, Joseph Smith redid Matthew 24, the Savior kind of talks about this. Um, the Savior talks about two periods of time. You had the destruction of Jerusalem in the old time, and then he talks about the second. The second one deals with the events that precede the second coming. Uh, that's in verse 41, but I'll, I'll skip the scripture stuff. But he, oh, warns that false, <laughs> he warns that false Christs are coming, and it follows that he talks about uh, a record era of wars. And these are called the wars of complete destruction. This is when the Spirit withdraws. And that's in verses 29 and 30 in that Matthew 24. Uh, he talks about the temple in Jerusalem being desecrated. That's in verse 32. We, uh, we were talking about the temple being desecrated. That's where that occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think see. these atheistic tendencies, tendencies that are happening, you, you believe that, that we're just getting started? Do you think this is like a 20-year thing, a 50-year thing, 100-year thing? Any idea? Uh, I'm not sure how long it lasts, but that is a sign. What, it, what it's called is that's the end of the time of the Gentiles. You, you recall when Peter was allowed to start bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, they stopped just teaching Jews solely. And J- Peter had the dream you can have unclean food in the New Testament, and then they started teaching Gentiles. Uh, that opened up the time of the Gentiles, and I think now we're at the very end of that. And that's when the Spirit starts to withdraw from the world. And we're you know, I... I used that once with my mission president. Um, 
when uh, he was talking about, you know, we were having like a personal interview and he was talking about how conversions in Japan were, were decreasing. And like, <laughs> I looked at it from this, well, look on the bright side. Um, you know, it's been prophesied that the uh, time of the Gentiles is going to come to a close. And so maybe that's what we're seeing. And he just looked at me with this blank stare like that was the worst thing I could have possibly said to him in that moment. It's kind of a nice try, Elder. It must be because you're sinning in some way. Get back yeah, out there. Right. <laughs> he didn't know anything about my CD collection. <laughs> uh, I was going to mention in First, first Nephi 22, he mentions a time when those who are persecuted, the saints, would be drunk with their own blood, killing one another until they're completely destroyed. Um, the saints would do that in the in the latter days. Uh, those who persecuted the saints would be drunk with their own blood. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, he's talking about this, these wars of total destruction. Now, it, specifically, Joseph Smith gave a statement to uh, Mosiah Hancock, and no, this is not the uh, white horse prophecy. This is something different. Oh, uh, I was hoping you'd bring that. Oh, it's not yet. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> this is something different. Um, this. He dates this one uh, June 19th, 1844, and Joseph Smith stated this about America during this time. He says, there will be two great political parties in this country. One will be called the Republican and the other the Democrat Party. And these two parties will go to war, and out of these two parties will spring another party, which will be the Independent American Party. The United States will spend her strength and means warring in foreign lands until other nations will say, Let's divide up the lands of the United States, and then the people of the U.S. will unite and swear by the blood of their forefathers that the land shall not be divided. Then the country will go to war, and they will fight until one half of the U.S. Army will give up and the rest will continue to struggle. They will keep on until they are very ragged and discouraged and almost ready to give up when the boys from the mountains will rush forth in time to save the American Army from defeat and ruin. And they will say, Brethren, we are glad you have, have come. Give us men and force who can talk to God. Uh, then you will be... Then you will have friends, but you will save the country when the liberty hangs by a hair, as it were. So, Mike, this is like the Tea Party meets Mormonism meets Red Dawn. <laughs> well, what he's saying is that there will be a civil war in America, and, he, and he's basically saying the Republicans and Democrats are going to go war with each other. Yeah, but then there's, a new, there's a new party, right? Uh, a new party will rise up out of that, but then at that time, then America is going to get invaded. Wow. Yeah. And, so the, that's and red, the, crap, the real the crappy part is... I saw this movie. This movie came out in 1984. <laughs> yeah, about the same time that prophecy did. Yeah. But the crappy <laughs> part is, is there's so much gun control happening right now that when the war happens, we'll have to go back to swords and shields. Because <laughs> we don't want to allow firearms anymore. That's true. It's going to be a bloody war that way, I'm sure. I mean... Samurai style, so I guess. I guess. I guess, Mike. Before we get too too much more into the war stuff here, I think. I mean, it. Don't you think that now there's less war than there ever has been? I mean, like I've read some of the stuff by Jared Jared Diamond, who he talks about. You know, in Papua New Guinea, that like twenty percent of their population will be killed by violent conflict, and that you know centuries ago or even, you know, last in the 20th century, there were wars of just epic proportions that I don't see how we're ever going to, to, to see that again. Like, I can understand how someone hundreds or thousands of years ago would write about this kind of, you know, 
wars of utter destruction, but do you really think that's going to be what happens in the next, you know, 10, 20, 50 years? Uh, yeah, all the, all the stuff that it talks about is it's we're going to be almost at a perpetual war from that point forward. Uh, America will have a civil war, then it gets invaded. It talks about like half the people being killed off. Uh, wars start popping up in Europe. Uh, it's it's it talks about it like oh I don't know if, if, it, 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 the the term total destruction really describes it. I was oh. trying to find the quote. I thought I had it somewhere. Ask you this. Go ahead. I, I, I've never heard this prophecy before, but you obviously have. So, does it make you more inclined to want to fight? You know, like engage in a fight between Republicans and Democrats, or does it make you less inclined to do it? Like to try and prevent a war or to engage in it? I just, I, I think the two ideologies between the two parties are so far spread and the gulf is increasing uh i I don't see a way to avoid it go libertarian but but it's all good like at what point would you actually pick up a weapon and start fighting for your ideology it'd have to be in defense of course i mean it so do you think the the democrats will strike first i i i have no idea i think they already have (laughs) Really? Ooh. <laughs> well, when they're, when they're forcing homosexuality on you and they're taking their guns away, yeah. and I mean, and the, these aren't there, just there. You go. That just this isn't just rhetoric. It's happening. You haven't had homosexuality forced on you, have you, Mike? <laughs> I mean, it's acceptance. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm supposing after the first of February, I got to pull my kids out of Boy Scouts. Mm. Oh, That's going to be a tough one yeah. for you. What what, um, what are your kids I, doing in in Boy Scouts? <laughs> It's Never part mind. of the young men's program at church. Okay. Never mind. I'm but how not. do you support how do you support someone that you know, they, they shove pedophilia on your kids? But Mike Whoa, 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 that's a leap. No, that's it's not. Fre- Mike What the there, freak that's a leap. Oh wow. Mike. Ever heard of Mambla? You, you don't, they they don't have a merit badge for that yet? <laughs> no, they don't have a merit badge for that Clint. For pedophilia yeah, or right. what? <laughs> So, Mike, I have a question for you. When all this bad stuff is happening, I remember as an active Mormon, I had kind of a a weird tension of guilt when bad stuff would happen. That would be a sign of the time because it'd be like, yay, a sign of the time. And then it'd be like, oh, wait, people are dying. This is a tragedy. I should feel bad. And those two emotions, maybe it didn't happen consciously, but subconsciously, I, I always had some weird dissonance there of like being excited for the end of the world, but then not being happy about it. Cause like I said, you know, two thirds of what God's going to do then is destruction. So how can it, how well, I think growing up in the church, you're always kind of weary. Like how long have we got to struggle through this? You know? And it's almost like a relief to say, Oh good. It's this struggle is going to be over. You know, everybody looks forward to going to heaven, but nobody wants to go through the steps to get there. You know what I mean? But doesn't this breed sort of this sort of creates an environment where tragedies are for the wicked, right? Because all the, the all that's happening here, the saints don't have to feel as bad because they're going to have like protect and Zion will be lifted up. So anytime there's like a uh, a war or a natural disaster and lots of people die, it's sort of it's hard to 
thinking as an active Mormon that it isn't because those were wicked people. And that, to me now, as a non-active Mormon, is, is rather disturbing. So do you have to reconcile those thoughts, or is that not an issue for you? Uh, one thing that's really clear through all this is that the saints are not protected. Uh, you're protected in the sense that you're around good people if you gather together, but it clearly states you're not protected from these natural disasters. You're not protected from the wars. The only time that you see the saints truly protected is when at the very last day when Satan's attacking, Christ destroys them all. But that's at the very end of all this mess that we're talking about. At the very end of all these wars, all this stuff. That's so wait, so, so then why does God do all this then? Like, what, why should I be good if I'm not? Oh, it's you know, the Mike, afterlife. That's why. Mike, like what, on your list of, of however many, you know, 21 or whatever, how many points you have there, are there any of them that are good? Like, <laughs> are, any, are any of them like, you know, uh, Well, there's some, there's some high points. Or, uh, okay. There's some high points where, like, the, the ten tribes show up and the temple in Jerusalem gets built and the temple of New Jerusalem gets built. Okay, uh, so there's, like, some cool climaxes, but there's not really, like, you know, the opposite of an earthquake. Well, <laughs> the opposite of an earthquake. Like ma- manna coming from heaven or no, something. Like, like a year where there's no earthquakes. Like, that, to me, would be a sign. Like, if the earth just stopped quaking, that'd be like, yeah. Wow. That's a good no, one. I think I, I'm going to write that one in. I'm going to just. As write far as God. I can tell, things are pretty crappy the whole way through. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, Christ shows up numerous times uh, here and there before the grand second coming. Um, let's see. Does your, um, Mike, does your guy like Bruce R. McConkie? Does he take credit for? Um, all the good stuff that's already happened leading up to today, like Bruce R. McConkie considers the printing press, the, the U.S. Constitution, um, and, the, and a number of other things, like huge signs of the times um, as they relate to just paving the path for the kingdom of God to be here on the earth. Uh, no, he didn't really pick up any of the older stuff where the time of the Gentiles where the gospel gets spread. He kind of went from today forward. Okay, gotcha. But you're, you're mentioning things that have happened before during that time of the Gentiles where, the, like, the Bible gets spread all over the earth. And, you know, those are, those are good things where the name of Christ gets out. But what's the difference between a sign of the time and just, like, <clears throat> something happened in history? Like, why, why are these for the sole purpose of being a, a sign for, like, I, I guess in my list of 51, there's so many of these that are just like, oh, yeah, that did happen, but wait, why is it like proof of something? What, what, why is it attributed? Well, th- this is one we can clearly look to, is that the, the time of the gospel being in, in charge by the Gentiles ends. Uh, the world goes atheist, and then the wars start. So that's one you can say, okay, I see that happening. Uh, okay. when, you start see- when you start seeing missionaries being called to serve among their own people and not going to gather scattered Israel in, that's a sign. Uh, he mentions that we're on four periods of missionary work. What's that? We're on what, step three or sign three? Because I guess we should have given a disclaimer that if anybody has any tendencies for depression that's a believer, shouldn't really study the signs of the times because I'm already getting <laughs> a little depressed. All right, so where, where are we at? Okay, the missionary work in the in the in times for signs of the times are, are divided up into four different periods. 
There's the mission to the Gentiles that we've been talking about where there's lots of preparatory wars where the world gets opened up for the gospel to be preached. Uh, then there's the mission to the house of Israel where they're specifically going to the Jews. And that's, that's tied into the area of complete destruction where there's really nasty wars. That's when the gospel goes back to the Jews. Um, after Armageddon, there'll be a time called mission to the heathen nations where the Jews will reach out and try to bring people into the covenant. And then the final mission would be during the millennium. But that, uh, right now we're at the time of the Gentiles where the gospel is to be preached to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, as the church is always stating. And when this is done, the house of Israel will be prepared for its reception of Christ because they're going to hear, you know, even the Jews, you can't watch television while hearing about Christ being preached. So they're kind of being prepared that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and Paul spoke about this time period in Romans, but I'll skip the scripture. Uh, Does yours, um, do you also have uh, persecution of the Jews? So I, McConkie has that Jews will start to begin to believe is one of his, but then he has another one um, that's highly offensive, but it's, it's in here, which is just basically that because the Jews rejected the truth, that's why the Holocaust happened. And uh, if they would have only kept the commandments of the Lord, um, then, uh, you know, all this bad stuff, it was a sign of the time that they were going to reject the truth and uh, be punished for it. Um, before that they goes into that again. statement when Christ was brought before Pilate, where they said, if he's innocent, let the blood be on us and our children. That's that's where he's tying that into. Uh, so when, when Christ was brought before Pilate and they kind of said, it'll be on us if he's innocent. I think that's what was McConkie was referring to. Hmm, okay. Um but after this time period, uh, let's see. Um, Doctrine of Covenants 45 states that most of the Gentiles are going to reject the gospel. Uh, when it becomes impossible to preach to the Gentiles, the church will stop sending out the missionaries. They'll all be called home. And it's then that they'll be sent to Israel. Uh, and here I had an Orson Pratt quote. Hopefully it's a short one. Because uh, we'll yeah, barely get started. Brother. Orson Pratt, yeah, you. Yeah. That's a risky, risky one. There could, could be long. Uh, okay. Then, when the Gentile nations shall reject the gospel and count themselves unworthy of eternal life, as the Jews did before them, the Lord will say, "It is enough. Come away from them, my servants. I will give you a new commission. You shall go to the scattered remnants of the house just of stop Israel." That one where it says, "As the Jews did before." I mean, really? <laughs> oh, this is hard to hear. It says, yeah. "I'll." And from the four corners of the earth and bring them again to their own lands. They shall build Jerusalem on its own heap. They shall rear a temple on the appointed place in Palestine, and they shall be grafted in again to the covenant. Now that, in short, is the nature of this great Latter-day preparatory work for the coming of the Son of Man. Glenn, um, what, are you, what do you mean, Glenn? Can you elaborate on the, that? The anti-Semitism? That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah, I, okay. it's just, it's, it's really hard to listen to. It's so blatant, and you know, it, this this is the kind of stuff that crusade the crusades were fought for. We're going to build Christ's kingdom on the ashes of the those who killed him. I mean, it's just that's anyway. Have a hard time with that. It's just it's just this barbaric tradition that we're con- that we have continued. 
But, but you're okay with the uh, homosexual and pedophilia leap there, Glenn? That's the one that still got me <laughs> which, reeling which, a little which bit. Which one? The, the Boy Scout stuff that Mike was talking about? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Mike's, Mike's boys are only going to be tenderfoots because, you know, there might be a, some Boy Scout unit on the other side of the country that might allow a gay person no, to But, I mean, I, I make a distinction between Mike's interpretation of things and the... the, the uh, <laughs> You know, like the the historical doctrine and direction that the church took and the foundation that it's built on, you know. I I mean, sure, there's going to be similarities between the two, but that's kind of what I was talking to. You know, listen to to the Orson Pratt stuff, and it's just so blatantly archaic. Archaic. Yeah, I mean, it's just... well, the point of the whole gospel in the Book of Mormon Conforce is to bring people into the covenant of Christ. If you have an entire group of people that denies Christ... But it's supposed to be in the covenant by but, blood. But Christ, yeah, it, Christ it is the a, source of all good, it's a right? Point. You know, so if people are doing good, they're not really denying Christ, even if they don't call it by that name. Christ is a source of good to the people that adhere to the covenant. If you're rejecting Christ and fighting against the covenant, well, then he's not such a good guy they're, anymore. They're not fighting. But do you? Do you? Do you it, it also seems like this is like an excuse for genocide. Like, isn't there um, a chance that a group of people, even if in the aggregate a lot of them are, heaven forbid, not believing in something, and that's a reason to exterminate them? Um, this is, you know, very hypothetical. I do not believe that at all. But let's say that's, that, that, that's the possibility. Don't you think there's a few of them in there that maybe don't need to be exterminated under the pretense of being a particular member of a group? Like maybe that's the wrong way to go about exterminating people. Is well, but, picking, well, I mean, uh, Brigham Young taught this. This was part of the blood atonement teaching, and it's in Journal of Discourses. Okay, let me just interject here. Blood atonement was a teaching from Brigham Young, which he attributed to Joseph Smith, and it said that Jesus' atonement will redeem mankind from almost all sins. But there's some sins so vile and heinous that only the sinner's own blood could atone for it. And one of those sins was the denial of the Holy Ghost, or in other words, a rejection of the truth, a rejection of Mormonism. This assumes that the Holy Ghost has confirmed the truth to the heart of the unbeliever, and then the unbeliever has simply exercised his agency to reject that sacred confirmation. So uh, this is something that comes from the Journal of Discourses, um, which is a record of lectures that Brigham Young gave. This particular lecture was given February 8th, 1857. You can find it in Volume 4, pages 215 to 221 of the Volume of Discourses. I'm just going to read two paragraphs here. Uh, One says, Will you love your brothers and sisters likewise when they have committed a sin that cannot be atoned for without the shedding of their blood? Will you love that man or woman well enough to shed their blood? That is what Jesus Christ meant. This is loving our neighbors as ourselves. If he needs help, help him. And if he wants salvation and it's necessary to spill his blood on the earth in order that he may be saved, spill it. If any of you understand the principles of eternity, if you've sinned a sin requiring the shedding of blood except the sin be unto death, anyway, I'm just going to end it at spill it. That is the way to love mankind. So, I went to Brigham Young University. I'm an alumni. I didn't know that. I didn't know all this stuff at the time. But, uh, woohoo! Go Cougars. We're all, we're all on the subject of the, of the end of the time of the Gentiles where they, everyone starts rejecting Christ and atheism is on the rise. 
Um, this is, everybody's heard about Salt Lake. If you're a Mormon, if you grew up in the church, you've heard about Salt Lake will be the wickedest place on earth. And that this is a Heber C. Kimball quote. He says, uh, after a while, the Gentiles will gather to this place by the thousands, and Salt Lake will be classified among the wicked cities of the world. The spirit of, now, here's a good one. This is anybody that's been watching all of what's going on with the crash of the economy. A spirit of speculation and extravagance will take possession of the saints, and the result will be financial bondage. Persecution comes next, and all true Latter-day Saints will be tested to the limit. Many will apostatize, and others will stand still, not knowing what to do. And darkness will cover the earth, and gross darkness over the minds of the people. Uh, so that, that kind of brings so, it into So wait, today. wait, gross darkness so over like the minds of which people? Because I may agree with this one. All people. All people. Everybody will start accepting the ideology of the world instead of the ideology of the church. Yeah, let me tell you, let me, let me add what uh, McConkie has to say about latter-day wickedness. Okay. Uh, he says, murder, robbery, rape, whoredoms, every form of sex immorality, and all forms of crimes against persons and property truly abound. Juvenile delinquency is a problem of substantial magnitude. Birth control <laughs> is one of the great evils of the day. Which, which all of those crimes, well, birth control, not a crime, but all the rest of those bad things, those are all in the decline. Yeah, yeah. And I, all, I, there's all less, less of those now than there were in the, the you know, previous decades. That are just being reported, right? They must, still, they must be still going on. <laughs> they, I well, mean, well, I'm not saying yeah. it's not happening, but I'm saying that statistic, I, statistically our world is becoming safer, better, more moral. And, and, yeah. I mean, okay, but, generally... what, what, but what you're saying is in direct conflict to what Mike is saying, so I reject your premise. Okay, continue, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm agreeing with Mike because Mike was Mike started out by saying it's a long ways off. So, oh, if, we're okay. looking, so okay. if we're looking for things to be getting, you know, really bad, again, apart from the uh, birth control, apparently the, the church has flopped on that one. But the right. if we're looking for things to get really bad, I mean, we must be just ages and ages away from it because, th- th- and this is the big question, and I have to give a hat tip to John Larson for this one, but the question for you, Mike, if you believe that the world is getting worse, I guess, or anyone, my question is, when would you rather live? Like, what period in time would you rather live in? Oh... That's hard to say. I never really thought about it. Like if Easy. you, the millennium. <laughs> no, in the past. If like if if I put you in a time machine and you had to go back in time, and you were going to just inhabit a random body of someone who was on the Earth at that time. Someone in the someone in the city of there, Zion, right before it was translated. <laughs> right, Mike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but well, it's the easy. city of Enoch was called Zion. It's easy. It's easy if you can pick who you go back as, but if you can't pick who you go back as, and it's just, you just time, periods, time period. Yeah, yeah. There's there's really no. I haven't gotten anyone to tell me that there's a time period that they would actually rather go back as. Like, would you rather go back and be a black person in the fifties or be a woman in the eighteen fifties or actually <laughs> be a? <laughs> I I know you were, Glenn. That's why I'm asking. Or, or uh, a slave in, you know, 1750 or, I mean, it's just the whole idea, the whole premise that, like, the world's going, it, the things are getting worse and every, you know, 
the world's becoming a more evil place. I mean, it's just look around how much progress we've made in the last 30, 40 years. It's just, I mean, it's, it's so much better. What'd you say? Right, that? En- en- enough of this glass half full stuff. Okay. Mike continue. <laughs> uh, let's see. DNC 90. Okay. I'm, I'm going to skip over these my next notes cause they deal with, uh, the same stuff we've been talking about. We'll move forward here. Uh, on to the calamities. Uh, wait, wait. Now we're going to talk about calamities? Now we're going to... Okay, so the, the, the end of the... What were we... Yeah, was now this just like pancakes and happiness? <laughs> real, Bob. <laughs> okay. No, we've, we've been talking about how the gospel's been in the hands of the Gentiles. That time is now ending. We're going to get into the time of the Jews where they received the gospel. We're going to start gathering in the Jews. But along with that comes the real destruction, nasty stuff, uh, the, the calamities. Uh, when when Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith, he talked about the different kinds of calamities that were coming in. These include uh, scourges and sicknesses that will sweep the earth, along with famine and drought. Uh, we actually have a, a direct reference to the famine and drought in DNC 29. It mentions that they'll, uh, crops are going to be destroyed by hailstones. And uh, so we'll have a season without crops. Uh, but this, I guess this carries on. Uh, you get the drought occurring. Does with it talk about things. global warming? Uh, uh, it doesn't. But it says hey, scourges and sicknesses, famine and drought, and earthquakes. And he mentions by name New York, Boston, Albany, and Jackson County. Uh, New York gets an earthquake. Did. He says, New York gets an earthquake, Boston gets the tidal wave, Albany will be destroyed by fire, and Jackson County will be swept clean by something. But he doesn't say exactly what happens with that. He doesn't have to. <laughs> he doesn't have to. <laughs> so all these things that are going to happen, have they not happened before? Like, how do I know that it's, it's not just an anomaly? Because I'm pretty sure the Earth has experienced a drought before the time that I... Experiences well, it, and I call it a sign of the time. Or crop failures, or yeah, exactly. Like this, or, this isn't actually all that new. The problem is that the way they describe it is it's going to be having one right after the other. Bam, 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 bam. It's not like they're twenty years apart. It's where they just start coming, reoccurring with more and more and more frequency. Um, and th- this kind of stuff carries on through everything else we're going to be talking about. This is always in the background. Uh, that's why there's. We're going to get into the where the Jews return, the ten, lost ten tribes return. And they always always talked about a highway is going to open up out of the earth and they come up out of the center of the earth or some garbage like that. <laughs> those, are, those are revelations getting mingled together. The, Jew, the ten tribes return, but it's not like they return from a hole in the earth. It's, it just seems that way in the scripture because that's two prophecies being wrapped together. Yeah, because so, that would be ridiculous. Yeah, I was just going to yes, say. It was. Every, every I've always word. said that. Okay. <laughs> of everything we're talking about, that's the line. That's, where that's it gets the crazy. line, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's no hole in North Pole where they're all going to come up out of a helicopter and say, here's all our scripture. See, Mike's <laughs> wagging his finger like, don't be ridiculous, okay? okay that's then crazy Mike, talk. Mike, then what's going to happen? Where are they going uh, with from? the Ten Tribes? We're going to get to that. Uh, but before we do that, uh, this is the stuff I was talking about, the destruction in America. This is another Orson Pratt quote from 1879. He says, but what about the American nation while all these things are going on? Uh, that war that destroyed the lives of some fifteen or 1,600,000 people in the Civil War was nothing compared to that which will eventually devastate this country. Uh, 
The time is not very far distant in the future when the Lord God will lay his hand heavily upon that nation. What then will be the condition of that people when this great and terrible war shall come? It will be very different from the war between the north and the south. Uh, Do you wish me to describe it? I'll do so. It will be a war of neighborhood against neighborhood, city against city, town against town, county against county, state against state, and they will go forth destroying and being destroyed, and then manufacturing will in that great measure cease for a time among the American nation. Why? Because in these terrible wars, they will not have be privileged to do any manufacturing. There will be too much bloodshed, too much mobocracy, too much going forth in bands and destroying and pillaging the land to suffer people to per- pursue any local vocation with any degree of safety. It's just not going to happen. I, I just I cannot even imagine that anything close to that happening in today's day and age. Oh, ye of little faith. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I'm unfaithful about the wars that are <laughs> but, prophesied. Yeah, so exactly. Mike, you, that is interesting the way you, the Orson Pratt phrased it there at the beginning. So God is going to actually intervene. This goes back to what Tom was talking about earlier. It says He said very specifically as part of this revelation, God is going to reach in with his hand and make it so neighbors kill each other. Why? Well, what was the prophecy when, when they were given the land? Uh, remember in the Book of Mormon, it talks about if they don't live up to the covenants, this land was set aside for a Christian people. And if they cease believing in Christ and reject him, then they will no longer possess the land. You mean their that ancestors like 2,600 years prior? Well, yeah. what's, that's what I'm saying is that that's the end of the time of the Gentiles is when people begin rejecting Christ in large measure. This right. is the same argument that says that in that uh, – what, what was that Connecticut school shooting um, you know, a month or so ago? And, and people said, you know, God would stop something like that if he were invited into the classroom. Right. You know, it's just absolutely ag- – it's aggravating. It's insulting. Like that's the God that you worship and you say you're just and you're loving? He just he won't be able to protect the people any longer. He won't be able to. No, he's not. He's not protecting them. He's actually coming in, and he's the one causing the destruction. So, if I exercise my free will, which is like a, a huge Mormon philosophy that they're in love with, um, and I choose not to believe something, that's okay. God will just strike me down. The the, the issue is. It's like with Sodom and Gomorrah. Why didn't God just leave Sodom and Gomorrah alone and them do their own thing? Um, you have to have a fertile ground to plant the gospel into. God can't maintain his covenant among a people if they're rejecting the very idea of Christ who you're making the covenant with. Who's going to grow up and be baptized and have the name of Christ sealed upon them if they're in an environment that rejects that Christ? So you're saying Mormons should get the hell out of San Francisco because any day now, I mean, that's a target big time, right? We're going to get into that. <laughs> that's coming up. Not, let me finish the source. Wait, but, but cool. wait, wait, but wait. So if, if there is this um, group of people in the latter days that have all of the saving ordinances at their disposal and a temple through which they can do proxy – uh, baptisms and sealings and everything for anybody who's ever been born outside of the covenant, then what does it matter? You, you can make it all better anyway. Because if you, uh, when you die, it's just like stepping into another room. You're not going to accept Christ on the other side if you reject him here. So why do you need you to die from like starvation, pestilence, or disease in a science? 
away. Like, if it's all the same, couldn't God just, you know, make your heart stop working in a very comfortable way? Or is that just, there's there's a little bit of vengeance or wrathfulness that, you know, God misses his Old Testament self or something. I don't know if you call it vengeance. It's, it's uh, when you get into like a, the allegory of the olive trees, where God's trying to keep the olive tree blooming and giving fruit, but it keeps getting rotten branches and he has to cut them off and graft in this. That's what it's all about. You have to have fertile ground for the gospel to grow. And if, if it's rejecting the work you're trying to do, then you burn it. Or you dig it up or you root it up and plant something new. So, Mike, just to be clear, this is all, this is all part of the plan, right? The plan it's of understood that it's going to happen. Right, but but God's in in charge of you know the universe, right? He he sets the timetable, but <sighs> all right. So where were we headed? I mean, you said that uh, we're getting we're getting to somewhere. I mean, okay, the, the Orson Pratt one. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the rest of it is. Uh, what will become of the million of the farmers upon the land? They'll leave their farms and they'll remain them uncultivated. You know that, that's getting into more famine. And they will flee before the ravaging armies from place to place, and they'll go forth burning and pillaging the whole country. And that great and powerful nation, now consisting of some 40 millions of people, will be wasted away unless they repent. Uh, And that leads into the Brigham Young quote about uh, the Mormons gathering together. He says, uh, it will be the same with other denominations of professing Christians, and it will be Christian against Christian and man against man. And those who will not take up the sword against their neighbors must flee to Zion. And this is him talking, obviously, to a Salt Lake congregation. Uh, We are blessed in these mountains. This is the best place on earth for the Latter-day Saints. Search for the history of all nations in every geographical position on the face of the earth. And you cannot find another situation so well adapted for the saints as are these mountains. Here is the place in which the Lord designed to hide his people. It has been designed for many generations to hide up the saints in the last days until the indignation of the Almighty be over. His wrath will be poured out upon the nations of the earth. So he's saying, can you not just hear the back slapping in, in that? I mean, <laughs> I love Brigham Young. <laughs> all, all it is, it's just grand. It's just like self-congratulatory rah-rah. You know, how can you I think he's like, that? he's in a hot tub with a cigar as he's dictating this one. It's, <laughs> oh, now, the, the prophecy, I won't, I won't get into, I'm trying to skip giving too many quotes and references, but they're, they're saying that the Gentiles are going to flow to Salt Lake like a stream, or you can compare them to flocks of birds coming in. Um, is, this be- is this before? Is this before or after Salt Lake becomes the worst place in the whole wide world? It's the reason after. why it does. Oh, yeah, okay. because of the influx of the Gentiles, which happened with the Olympics. So this one we can check <laughs> off. Seriously, right, didn't you? Right. But didn't you hear that with the Olympics? That oh, it was yeah. prophesied that the Gentiles are going to flow in here. I mean, look at all the, look at all the Gentiles all over the world coming in for the Olympics. All right, I'm saying when all this is going on, this is after Salt Lake has been wicked. The wars come. If the Christians begin f- coming to Salt Lake, because it's a place of peace. It says Zion will be cut off and alone. There'll be no, it's not going to be trading with any outside cities. It's going to have to be self-sustaining during this time. And the problem arises, and this is very clear in the prophecies, that the numbers of people flooding to Salt Lake are going to be so many um, that the fear of famine begins because it, it, although it's self-sustaining, it can't handle the influx of people. Uh, so many come running in small bundles on their arms with no food is the prophecy. 
Everybody's well, if we, small. Isn't this one of those things like, like uh, time travel movies where if you know something's going to happen, then you can prevent it from happening so it's not going to happen, but you know it's going to happen? Like, so couldn't we fix this problem in advance of it happening? We know there's an influx of people coming and there's going to be a shortage of food so we can uh, adjust accordingly. No, How would you bring? You, you, yeah, you're talking about organization and planning, and I don't think that's part of it. How would you bring peace to the Republicans and Democrats? How would I bring peace to the uh, the democratic process set forth by the founding fathers you so love? <laughs> what do you mean by peace? Like, there's no. What do you mean by how peace? Do you go to the, how do you go to the Senate and you know you get they're Harry Reid and they're not arm fighting and together and say, okay, let's work this out, fellas. Well, the. That's what they do. They they debate. So let's not How's let's not confuse now? debate with war, like literal war. Okay. How do you right. how do you bridge the gulf between the two ideologies of conservatism and progressivism? You, you, why does, why does you have to? You, yeah, you're saying you're saying that's gonna that's gonna lead to war if we don't without, bridge the gap. Without question. The gap's important. It's an important ideological gap that you can discuss. Yes. It's how our country has always worked, Mike. That healthy tension isn't a new concept. There has always been – look back to like Thomas Jefferson versus John Adams. They didn't agree on everything, but they were both presidents and still friends and worked together to further their – without fighting each other. Um, yeah, but you're talking about two completely different lifestyles, and you have – I mean right now you have the uh, – the, the progressive liberals have the stronger hand, and they're changing the culture of America itself and talking about doing away with the Constitution. I think the culture is doing a good job changing on its own. And and they're recognizing and responding to that and saying, yeah, you know what? In certain areas, we haven't really been following the mandate of the Constitution and letting all men pursue happiness. All right, all right. We we got we you gotta let Mike get to the white horse prophecy, dude. I'm like right on the edge of my seat. Let's go, white horse. Let's go. <laughs> Somebody else is gonna have. I don't have any notes on the white horse. I know it exists. It's there, but I was. What? What am I doing here? <laughs> why why was I even invited here? If there's no bomb at the tail end of this, go cut loose. Say whatever okay. you want regarding it. You're, you're, I'm on page five of eight pages of notes here. So, um, okay. Good progress then. Good. Okay, I'm, I'm skipping a lot, but okay. The government in Zion, uh, the reason that the Mormons uphold, you've, everybody's heard the Constitution will hang by a thread and the Mormons will save it. Yeah, uh, part the of way the white horse, man. It's part of the white horse. <laughs> All right. The government in Zion will be upheld, but will uphold the Constitution in this way, in that the kingdom of God will be separate from the church of God, and that the, the Mormons with the Council of 50 will have their own government that sustains all the principles of the American Constitution. Um, this but is Mike, another the, Orson. I, Mike, the, the Council of 50 was disbanded. Yep. That you gone. know of. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Ooh. So you okay, think, this, I mean, do you think they're going to reconstitute the Council of 50, or do you think there is yes, they, a Council of 50 now? They'll, they'll make a new one, is, is, what the, is what the prophecy says. Okay. All right. It, uh, Orson Hyde said this on the matter. He says, It is said that Brother Joseph in his lifetime declared that the elders of this church should step forth at a particular time when the Constitution should be a danger and rescue it and save it. This may be so, but I do not recollect that he said exactly so. I believe he said something like this, that the time would come when the Constitution in the country would be in danger of an overthrow, and said he, if the Constitution be saved at all, it will be by the elders of this church. 
I believe this is about the language as nearly as I can recollect it. The question is whether it will be saved at all or not. I do not know that it matters to us whether it is or not. The Lord will provide for and take care of his people. If we do every duty and fear and honor him and keep his commandments, then he will not leave us without a constitution. So the kingdom of God that's going to be established when America falls is going to be something similar to the Council of 50 in Nauvoo, and it won't be religious in nature. It'll be uh, a government made up of religious people, but it's not going to be part of the church. Wow. Well, when that happens, let's talk. I'm so excited. So, so Mike, if I want to like get this to happen more quickly, should I become more like Glenn Beck or more like uh, <laughs> like who, who should I be like in order to facilitate uh, this destruction of America so that the prophecy can come true? It's nothing to facilitate. It's just going to happen on its own. Oh, okay. So I'm okay as a fence sitter then. What's that? I'm okay as a fence sitter then. You're, well, there's going to come a time you're going to want to pick a side. Uh, okay. When, when, when nasty stuff starts falling, apparently you should head to Salt Lake. Wait, but but that's risky though, right? Because there's going to be starvation. And I mean, as a good Mormon, like what what should I do or where should I live to make sure that I don't get hit by an earthquake, a tidal wave, famine? Um... I, I wouldn't live in a state of panic. I just... Follow the gospel, listen to the prophet, lead a good life. If you get killed, you know you're going to heaven. If you live through it, you'll know where to go because you're following the prophet. So Nebraska is the answer. Okay. <laughs> well, don't, go, yeah. don't go to Missouri because they said it's going to be wiped out. Right. That's oh, what yeah. I'm saying is like everywhere that Joseph Smith had any sort of association, so like not South Dakota or Nebraska, um, sounds pretty bad. Like there's a good chance, I, a high probability that I'm going to get screwed if I live there. So I'm just... You know, pick a place off the map a little bit, right? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> it sounds like Salt Lake's the only safe place so far, except but, for uh, when it's not. Yeah. Okay. Right, the future, except, except for when half the half of the United States is killed. Right. <laughs> All right. So, in the future, the kingdom of God will be the new government uh, of of uh, America. I don't know if you want to say the world or not, but the kingdom of God will be the new government, and it starts like this. There's three stages of it. In the beginning stage, the saints will be in the West, and that's where the influence of the kingdom will – it's going to be relatively limited among the people of the Salt Lake Valley as all the, as all the uh, refugees pour in. Uh, the growth stage of the, of, the, of the kingdom of God is during this period that many of the saints are going to be journeying to the West to go to Missouri to establish the New Jerusalem. Uh, does anybody want to briefly mention what the New Jerusalem is to those that don't know? Hang on, pipe Mike. dream. Are you, are you is this, are you reading this from the book, that you, the same book that you're referencing? Yeah, this is page eighty-one. It gives the three stages of the future of the kingdom of God briefly. Okay. Uh, to answer I, your question, the, the Mormons think Mormons think okay. the, new, the New Jerusalem is um, the area around um, in Independence, Missouri, which is where um, you know the uh, New Jerusalem is going to be established. Well, I've uh, I've heard that there's going to be two capitals. One's going to be like the political epicenter, and the other one more the religious. Like so, there so the the new Jerusalem isn't going to exist independent of the old Jerusalem. They'll work in in tan, tandem with each other, um, and they'll have different functions, but they'll both coexist as kind of the two capitals of the world. Um, 
Anyone else hear this? Or is this just me? Yes, you're right. The, the one in the new Jerusalem that's going to be built in Missouri will be the political capital, and the old Jerusalem, when it's rebuilt, will be the religious capital. Right. Cool. Right. So that did, that the, that's the growth stage of the kingdom of God is when they make this journey to begin building the new Jerusalem. Uh, it's there the kingdom of God will be rise to power, not by waging war on other nations, but just by being a standard of peace and lawfulness while other governments are collapsing through corruption and war. Uh, the world ruling stage where the kingdom of God rules the world, uh, this period will commence with the second coming of Christ and will take place during the millennium. So you're, you're talking about a huge expanse of time. Um, so that's the kingdom of God. When does it turn to glass? Doesn't the earth turn to glass at some point? That's, that's the wrapping up period of judgment day. Okay. So that's way, way off in the future. So can I ask if, do you, do you think like the church is, should, you know, do more of the, I'm a Mormon and I skateboard. We're all cool together. Or do you think that this kind of stuff should be front and center and more people should be educated about this kind of Mormon doctrine? The, the only thing that, that converts people is a witness of the spirit. Uh, when missionaries go out, they're not converting people to the culture of the church. They're not converting people to, you know, the whole purpose of missionaries going out is to teach people to receive revelation from God. That's the converting tool. It's not what size God's hat is or we know what kind of shoes God likes. It's saying, here's the Book of Mormon, read it, pray about it, and get a revelation. And revelation is the converting tool. All this namby-pamby, I'm a Mormon and I skateboard stuff is just to get people to turn their heads and say, oh, you're the missionaries I saw that cool commercial about coming to the house. But to become, when you become a Mormon, you don't learn about anything we're talking about on this podcast until you find out about it yourself, right? It's not something that is a prerequisite or even, it's not even part of the follow-up discussions after you're, you're being fellowshipped by your neighbor, your, your fellow Mormon neighbors. Like, you don't learn this stuff unless you seek it out. And is that something the church should change? Yeah, well, personally, and I've been in the church all my life. I've got a whole bookshelf full of church books. I've never been really interested personally in signs of the times it's always been kind of oh there's that stuff i'm, I'm more concerned about day-to-day stuff in my studies the, the gospel is huge and all-encompassing and if you want to learn uh, you can spend your whole life studying and still not know everything about the Mormon church in my all opinion right. i'm i'm just impressed how much you're you know and are have notes on this and this is like something you're you're uninterested in by comparison to other things <laughs> Uh, me and Glenn have been kicking this around for a long time. I, I've had this ready for about a month now, and I, I wish I got it like the second time because it, I didn't even have a chance to study that much today. <laughs> no, you're doing great. This, I mean, this is a lot of information, but yeah. uh, we're trying to roll through it because I know we, we want to keep this down to like an hour or so. But uh, okay, uh, the kingdom of God gets established. It starts small, then starts growing, and. When they get to Missouri and start building the, the kingdom of God, that's when the ten tribes show up. Um, now, let's see. Okay, so Mike, I'm trying to I'm trying to listen along for things that I could see, you know, objectively as someone who's a non-believer. So uh-huh. I, I guess if if things start getting really really awful, and then there's like a political center in Missouri, that's when I'm going to like perk my ears up. To watch for the ten tribes is that well. This is after you're going to know something's happening before then because this is after America completely collapses. Okay, the government so, the government is gone. 
Uh, cities that have gone to war with cities. There's been famine, drought. This is the scraggling survivors of America. We're going to go make a new political center in fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, this really so, makes me want to have kids. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> uh, there's, there's always hard times. Um, now, this is something really interesting. This is a revelation about when, when they go to set up this new Jerusalem, a, a, a very powerful leader emerges out of the church. Um, this is uh, this is, is indoctrinated and strong. Uh, I don't know that you can call. This is what it says about. This is in DNC 103, 15, 17. It says, "Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them, like unto Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel, and out of the seed of Abraham." And ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. So there's going to be a leader that comes up. Um, it's at that time they go to Jackson County. Uh, not everyone in the church goes to Jackson. Some stay in Salt Lake. Uh, just what is needed to get the building project going goes. Uh, many remain in the West, and the law of consecration is in effect when they settle the New Jerusalem. Okay, but that's scripture. <laughs> I mean, that's, the, that's the same verse that the, the fundamentalists use. You know, like like we talked about in the um, under the banner of heaven episode and that sort of thing with the Lafferty brothers. That's the that's the the fundamentalist claim. The fundamentalist prophets have all claimed that they were the one mighty and strong that was going to be raised up like Moses um, oh, well, and, and kind of reconstitute the church before the before the end times. Well, we we know by the process of things here that. That doesn't occur until after everything else we've just mentioned happens. Well, yeah, I mean, that's obvious to you and me, Mike, but the fundamentalists don't understand all this stuff. Tell them to study. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, right. can, you, can you help us understand the difference between the law of consecration, as glorious as it is, and uh, uh, socialism and as evil as it is? Well, in communism... Uh, Not communism, just socialism, just the concept of... of uh, a government that takes care of its own people, you know, like universal health care. And that wouldn't happen under the law of consecration. Oh, wait, it would. How, how would it happen? What's the difference? The, lo- the law of consecration is a voluntary uh, process. If you're a member of the church and you, you're a member of the faith, it's a voluntary thing, whereas others are, it's done by law. And if you don't. But wait, to it, wait, 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 wait. Hang on yeah. a second. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Take this one. Are yeah. you thinking the same thing I am? I, I remember I remember this not being a voluntary oath that I took, that you will obey the law of consecration when it comes about. I, I can't remember yeah, that. But yeah, you, you temple, do have the choice okay. to stand up in front of everybody and leave. If is that, is that yeah, where it's if, voluntary? If you're not there? willing to make oh. that covenant, but once you've made that covenant, once you've stood up and volunteered, it's not like each time – you know, it's voluntary when somebody comes to you and says, yeah, I'd like to have some of them milk scrappings. Eh, I don't think so this time. That's not how it works. So at the, so at the end of the day, anybody that's gone through the temple is is all in. The chips have all in, right? All right. But if, in the church, if you're... Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Is, is that true, Mike? Is it? I mean, is that what you're talking about, that the law of consecration is voluntary? Are you saying that those people that haven't gone through the temple, they don't have to live the law but those that have gone through the temple have to live the law well it sounds like those are going to go go rebuild the temple at the new jerusalem are going to be members of the covenant so yes they'd be temple sealed they'd receive their endowments 
But what what happens to somebody if they're Mike, you just totally sidestepped the question. If 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 they I are didn't like temple what what did you say endowed members then at and that endowed. point yes. consecration is no longer voluntary because they've already agreed to it and they're bound by it. Is that right? Well yeah, but they don't get locked in jail if they don't adhere to it. They they just No, they just get excommunicated. Right. Yeah, they just miss yeah. out on an eternity <laughs> full of glory. Um which is a worse punishment yeah. than, you know, just the lifetime of jail, because that's a very finite sentence compared to all of eternity being hosed. I, I don't think this select group of people are going to be having an issue with it. <laughs> well, a lot but, of people don't think that uh, the, the, the group of people that socialism affects will have an issue with it, and the majority will be happy with it. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to ask them when they get there to New Jerusalem, see how they like things. <laughs> But so, so then, then the big distinction that you're saying between Zion, you know, uh, the the religious utopia and and socialism, is that socialism is imposed on people against their will. Uh, yeah, pretty so much. So you're yeah. you're okay with the outcome of socialism? You think it's a fine system? Then it's just that you don't like the way it's gone about in terms of execution. Uh, yeah. Correct. Okay, that's that's a new. I'll have to. So if if it if it happens in a democracy where people are voting for it, <laughs> is that like voluntary or is that nice imposition? <laughs> well, if if it's <sighs> you don't have to answer that because you can't. Uh, yeah, well, I can tell you this: the, America was originally designed that if you weren't happy with what a state was doing, you just go to another state. But since we have statism as a whole across America where federalism has demanded all states be the same, that's where the problems arise. And there is a this, thing called the uh, supremacy clause that they put in the Constitution, you know, right at the ground level there. What's that? The supremacy clause in the Constitution, you know, said that the, the federal powers trump all the states. And, and you couldn't just go from one state to another if you were you know, a slave in the South, you couldn't just pick up and go to another state that was a free state. What did Kunta Kinte do? I don't remember. All right. Go on. All right. After, after they get to this new Jerusalem, uh, four important events are indicated by prophecy as being prepared to come to pass. All right. So this is after they get to new Jerusalem, they start building the temple. Um, they start intensively proselyting and converting the Lamanites or Indians of the North. So that's where the Lamanites get involved. Um, Christ is going to appear. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just call American Indians Lamanites? Yeah, it's cool, though. We're, we're, we're oh, fine okay. with that. Okay, all right, all right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> the Mormon lingo. All right. Uh, <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ appears in New Jerusalem. Um, the coming of the ten tribes from the north comes to New Jerusalem. Can you just and, call it uh, the Mormon socialism? Just sub in that way. I just want to hear you say it that way. <laughs> All right, uh, the, the communal Mormons. <laughs> okay, that's um, good. And once the ten tribes arrive, then you get the calling of the 144,000 high priests that you always hear the Jehovah Witnesses talking about. No um, women allowed. Yeah. The 144,000 high priests are called to minister the gospel in the last days. Um, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Third Nephi 21. Um, Wait. Wait, did you say 144 <laughs> high priests? Yes. Where do you get 144 high priests? 144,000, right? Oh, 144,000. 144, yes. 
Okay. That okay. means uh, that means if you're an Elder's Quorum, you're out of luck, bro. Uh, yeah. Have fun with that, Tom. Have fun with no, that. I will. The teaching of the Lamanites is in fulfillment of the third Nephi prophecy that Christ spoke to the Nephites. He says, uh, Warson Pratt says this about it. First, a Lamanite remnant will be converted, and second, Zion will be redeemed, and all among the Gentiles who believe will assist this remnant of Jacob in building the new Jerusalem. Uh, third, a vast number of missionaries will be sent throughout the length and breadth of the, new, of the great continent to gather all the dispersed of his people into the new Jerusalem. And uh, fourth, the power of heaven will be made manifest in the midst of the people. So it's going to be like a city of Enoch almost, because Christ eventually comes and takes up residence in it. Uh, we have a sign of the time about how uh, the Indians deserved what they got because they were Lamanites. And, you know, just to like round out the 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 Jew story that we're an equal opportunity oppressor in terms of races that did something wrong in the past. And so the current well, version. Somebody help me. What's the verse in the Book of Mormon where it says, if you're not a righteous people, the land will be taken from you? Oh, that is true. I don't remember where it is. but Yeah, it's in there. Okay. This is the Book We're of Mormon. So that happens among the Lamanites, and it also happened to is going to happen to America. So we've got we've got Jews, Lamanite, Jews, Indians, blacks. Is there any prophecy against women or oh, wait, uh, the, the 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 Native Americans are like double screwed because they're Jews and they're Lamanites. <laughs> well, but but they've also it's been prophesied that they would be like a young lion that's waiting to rise up and devour. Yes, yes. You know? I skipped that one cuz I, I was trying to hurry through things. But, but so Mike Rinan- is there is there but, any- but like the Lamanites the Lamanites blooming as a rose that actually has thorns that can you know kick your ass that that's a sign of the time. Well the prophecy and we can see that ha- we can see that happening with the casinos. When missionaries go to people's homes, it will be the Book of Mormon. They, they read where Christ appears to Lamanites and Nephites. And the prophecy he gives to them is that their descendants will build the New Jerusalem. And uh, that's going to be fulfilled in that when, they, when the, they get to New Jerusalem, start building, they send missionaries out and gather them to, so they can work on the temple. Can I ask you a question, Mike? Is there any human, human rights situation that's happened in the history of the world that's, that's not attributed to they had it coming because of X, Y, or Z of their forebearers? Like, is I'm there sure. anything where the people who did the thing are the ones to blame and it's not the, you know, all part of God's plan? Uh, uh, hang on just a second. I'm sorry. Mike's reaching for his big book of human atrocities. <laughs> History big of human illustrated atrocities. book of... <laughs> Norton's annotated genocide. Maybe, it, maybe, maybe it's just women. Because is there any? Are there any prophecies about women? Is everything that's happened to them over the ages just on accident, or was there a reason that they were evil at one point? Well, oh, Eve, Eve in the I garden. Mean, Eve, Eve kind of screwed it all up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you no. guys are ridiculous. I'm sorry, Mike. My, my kids are out raising money for Boy Scouts tonight, and they need a ride home, so they've been oh, calling. Boy Scouts are going to need it. That legal fund. Yes, they are. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the point we're at now is uh, Christ makes uh, four big appearances in the last days that are signs of the times. Uh, there's four specific appearances of the Lord. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the first one, uh, Christ makes an appearance in the temple in the New Jerusalem, at which time he will give his laws to Zion and minister unto his people. So he's going to make an appearance at the temple in New Jerusalem, and set up laws and government. 
Wait, wait, wait. But are these laws that I can opt out of because I'm a free-loving, you know, anti-socialist? You're welcome to leave. Well, they should only apply in Missouri. So you could just go to a different state. Oh, okay. Well, they're already going to have the New Jerusalem set up. He's going to add upon what they have. Um, The second appearance is the big appearance that we read about. uh, Christ's appearance at Adam on Diamond. In Missouri, at which time he'll receive the keys of the kingdom and hold judgment on the nations of the earth. Uh, so that, that's a big one. Uh, Adam on Diamond appearance. Uh, that's where... Uh, do, do I have that written down? Do we, are we going to get into more of that? No. Those two have uh, a pretty... pretty uh, I mean, he, he doesn't have to take the tour bus very far because those two locations are really close to each other, right? Right. Uh, number three, uh, Christ makes an appearance at the Mount of Olives that you always hear about uh, in yeah. the temple at Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, Palestine, at which time he'll save Israel from defeat at the Battle of Armageddon. And uh, the final one is his appearance in glory. That's the great second coming we all hear about where everything's wrapped up. Where, where are the two apostles uh, that are dead in the streets and then are both resurrected? Isn't that between the second and third? or Christ's Between the third and the fourth. That's, okay. Uh, the Mount of Olives appearance, and then the final second one is where the millennium sets in. Um, okay. Uh, Christ's presence when he appears at the New Jerusalem will preserve the temples. Uh, that's a detail. We'll skip that. Uh, okay, the lost tribes return. Prophets are among the lost tribes when they show up. And so does, wait, but does, does that happen after Jesus that, so, like, the lost tribes happened after the return? Uh, I always thought it happened before, that it was, like, preceding the second coming. Because it was one of the signs it, that the second coming was close when, when yeah, you, you is, read the records. Yeah, this is, like, a like a hundred years before the Mount of Olives appearance. A hundred years? Wow. Where are you getting it, that? Because when the – what happens is the, the lost tribes return – and Christ gives them the priesthood and calls out the 140, and the 144,000 go out and gather the Jews. And that takes 100 years. Well, they gather them all up, and they all go and rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. You see what I'm saying? That has to be rebuilt, and it's a huge complex. Like a 100-year project? I, I'm, I'm pulling 100 years out of the air. Okay, but from the you. amount of work they describe, it, it's going to take a long time. Um. Where do you get what? Do, what are you talking about? It's a huge complex. Uh, the the temple that's like twenty four little temples. No, but that's how it was going to be in Missouri. But Mike's talking about the old Jerusalem. Yeah, there, there's a drawing he has where it's separated into tribes. The, well, the I haven't building. Seen the, I haven't seen out. the architectural plans for the new temple in old Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, he's got it in this book. Okay. Uh, but you know. Dubai put together like a ski resort in a desert in less than 100 years. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that God could figure out a way to do it faster. Yeah, I, I could I, I could be wrong. <laughs> but but, I'm it, just but saying, it took 40 years to get the Salt Lake Temple up with lots of false starts. So, eh. yeah. Yeah, they had, they, they had a few other things going on then, though. Yeah. Okay, this is what uh, Oliver Cowdery stated that the angel Moroni taught Joseph Smith. Uh, he says... That after the church shall be sanctified and receive an inheritance where the glory of God shall rest upon them, and all things are prepared, then the ten tribes of Israel will be revealed in the north country uh, where they've been for a long season. So once the 
once the Lamanites are gathered, they rebuild the temple, Christ comes to the temple, then the ten tribes show up. Uh, they're okay. gathered. Now, now, Mike, you promised me we were going to get to that. How, do, how does it happen that the ten tribes show up? Because you said they don't just pop out of a hole. And it's, which, is it the polar ice caps melting? Please which I me. think would be better. But. I, I just think that uh, when the missionaries go out uh, and they gather people together, they find out that they're part of these lost tribes. So it's just going to be honestly, that's honestly it's just going to be people go out and they get patriarchal blessings and they say, "Oh, you're the you're the tribe of, you know, Reuben or something," and then they they come back. That's my personal opinion. Yes. So yes. so in the in the articles of faith where it says we believe in the literal gathering of Israel, I mean that's all it's talking about. It's just hey, it's missionary work and they all get patriarchal blessings and then they've been they've been under your nose the whole time. Yep. Well, maybe it means we believe in the gathering of literal Israel. <laughs> yeah, maybe it means that. But so there's, the, I mean, I just don't understand then what's special about the gathering of the ten tribes because they're just going to be going out and doing missionary work to just everyone. And if they're lost and Wait, we don't know and who they I, are until they get their patriarchal blessings, then it's just going to be kind of like shooting from the hip to to find these people. And that can't be the method either, right? Because before the lost ten tribes become unlost, missionary work, we've already been over this, will have stopped or severely declined. And if missionary work is the way through which we have more people to give uh, these blessings to to figure out what tribe they're a part of, we would have already gotten that information before it's supposed to happen after that. Well, that's what I'm talking about. There's going to be a long time period. These things aren't rush, rush, rush. Christ comes, uh, the Lamanites are there, they start sending up missionaries, the ten tribes are gathered, and the 144,000 that are put together, well, okay, the scriptures so get the, combined, let me, so let me they find additional question. scripture. Go ahead. Oh, I was, go, go ahead, I'll, I'll ask in a minute, sorry. Uh, I, I was going to say, Second Nephi 29 talks about the scriptures are going to be combined. So apparently when this missionary effort is going out to gather the ten tribes together, the lost scripture is found, and that's added to our canon. And then once the, once the ten tribes are gathered together, the 144,000 is called, and they say that's broken down to 12,000 from each tribe is where you get the 144,000 number from. Okay, so, so Mike, you've looked at all this and... You kind of hinted at it already that you don't think it's going to be for a while, but what kind of a time frame, if you if you had to you know estimate or if you had to put your money on on when this would be, what do you think the world's looking at here? Uh, hundreds hundreds of years. Hundreds of years from hundreds now of years. before it starts. Oh well, I, we're at the end right now of the time of the Gentiles. And so from this, uh, the next thing is uh, the battles of complete destruction where everything's getting wiped out and all Okay, so when do, you think, when do you think that's going to be, the battles of complete destruction? Our grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Oh, so within 100 years for sure. That, that's a guess for me is that that's where all that nastiness kicks off. Which, which kind of sucks because my seminary teacher told me, you know, in a, in a – in a very tearful, tearful testimony, saying that I would see it, you know, that kind yeah, of sucks. I, that, that, I, I could be wrong. That, it could happen that, in our lifetime. Wait, but have you ever seen things as nasty as they are politically, as far as Republicans and Democrats hating each other? 
Yeah, they had this Civil War thing a while ago that was bad. But, Tom, your semer- seminary teacher is telling this to you in tears. Like, I just want to pause and, like, so he's, he's inspired to tell you something that you're going you're gonna to live to experience this desolation, so let's all have a moment of joy over this. Like, why is that a good thing? Because you, uh, you're chosen, you're part of the elect. It's you're chosen to be part of the pestilence and wiping out of the earth with these severe wars that destroy everyone and Mormons aren't excluded. That That's sounds right. fantastic. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, don't think about it too much, Bob. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's what he <laughs> said. It was a tearful testimony. I mean, yeah, it was truth. I, what can I say? I don't know. It was what it was. Well, my, my dad's patriarchal blessing says he'll be fighting in the streets the last days, and he's 61 right now. Uh, we got this thing rolling. You, see if you can't jump on that, Bob. We got it. We got chop chop. So what? So what but seriously, Mike, like what? What are you doing with that? Because as time goes on, that's got to be in your mind that okay, maybe like what. He'll be there in spirit if he's not there in body. Like, what, what, what are you going to do? I got a pain in my sister, and my dad's had to drag her out of some places and been in the street yelling and screaming, so I, I'd count so that. maybe it's already... <laughs> maybe it's already been fulfilled wow. by my hard-headed sister. Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, so this Dwayne Crowther book, uh, Mike, why are you cherry-picking it, man? Because he talks about the white horse prophecy, and then you're you're acting all ambiguous about it. Like, oh, it's not, I don't really talk about it. I, I don't know. It's, I mean, white horse prophecy is huge in that thing. Uh, it's actually a kind of a a footnote at the back of the book. He does a chapter at the tail end, like he stuck it in there. Okay, uh, okay. So Deseret Book uh, dot com's got one review of this book on there. From Mona, reviewed in June of 06. This is what she says. Perhaps I'm being unfair because the book scared me so much that I wasn't able to read the whole thing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend reading this book. It is sensational. It contains the white horse prophecy, which is a false prophecy. Yes, the last days are going to be very trying, but the righteous need not fear. That doesn't mean the righteous won't be killed from the judgments, but they, but they are received in peace and happiness in the presence of the Lord. There's enough negative, frightening things written about the last days. We need to focus more on the joy that the righteous will feel when the Savior comes, not scared into behaving ourselves. Oh, sunshine so, and butterflies, that's just special. One, one star out of <laughs> one out of five stars she gave it. So she said it was you know, a piss poor book. So yeah, the white horse prophecy, Mike. I I just I don't I can't understand why you're ignoring. Well, that's why know. women go to primary because they write book reviews like that. <laughs> they can go in primary and teach the kids about love buckets and being kind to one another, and the men will chew on some meat. That's why huh? they don't get the priesthood. They write reviews <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those women. What else can we say about them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not misogynistic at all, but somebody's going to jump on that quote. I can see it now. Yeah, uh, I think you saw it before you said it. At all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the 144,000 get the priesthood. They're called upon. They they head out. Uh, now it says they're not just doing missionary work. Some of them are appointed to temples where they do work for the living and the dead. Um, the bodies of these 144,000 are changed to where the plagues and the troubles of the time don't affect them. So they become like the, the three Nephites. 
How are the, how is that different than zombies? It's because awesome. I like I, I was seriously having this discussion with my sixteen year old daughter the other day. Like what? Like how is a, a translated being different than a zombie? I mean, zombies well, don't think. And zombies zombies don't haven't ever died, so a zombie's like a resurrected being. Zombies are monsters going around snarling and biting people. Oh. Uh, this is these men so are. Are angels. zombies like the devil's way of trying to copy God's plan? Uh, zombies aren't real. Man. <laughs> okay, well, I Next thought line. that's what this whole discussion was about. <laughs> Stuff that isn't real. No. Zombies, zombies aren't real, but translated beings, on the other hand. All right, continue. Uh, Joseph Smith also mentions that the 144,000 will offer animal sacrifice. So that, oh. that's going to be thing that's restored. That's just thrown in, thrown in for good measure. It's just like, and another thing, animal sacrifice is awesome. So they're, they're like the three Nephites. They can't be affected by plague or the dangers of the day. They're like angels. They uh, they work in the temples along with doing missionary work, and they offer animal sacrifices and officiate in ordinances. And okay. Peta um, shall be disbanded. They're like and this is awesome, okay? Why? Why is it necessary for them to practice animal sacrifice? It's because there's this arcane scripture that says the last shall be first and the first shall be last so there has to be symmetry so like the very last thing that happens before the earth is destroyed there has to be like a naked man and woman eat an apple from a tree because a snake tells them to and that's what ends it all Uh, right snake told the woman to not the man glenn that sounds like a historical chiasmus oh yes did yes. I just blow your mind? Alone. Alone. <laughs> I wish you guys would uh, focus more on the truth. Okay, you want a quick rundown of the plagues? <laughs> okay, there's five plagues it mentions here specifically. The first plague will cause all the earth's grass to be burned as well as a third of the trees. It is thus characterized by great heat, though whether it is from fire or from drought or the scorching effects of the sun is not revealed. Hey, there's so, your global warming, Glenn. Glenn. <laughs> All right, the second plague will turn a third of the sea to blood and will kill a third of the creatures of the sea. Uh, the third plague, uh, something happens to the water, the fresh water, that makes it bitter, and many men will be killed by bitter water. But women are uh, good, right? What's that? Women aren't affected because the scripture only says men. Uh, Man, fine. Okay. Okay, the sounding of the fourth trump reveals no damage that will be done to the earth, but tells that a third part of the sun, the moon, and the stars will be darkened. It should be noted that in both of the other two instances, which prophecies say the sun is darkened, an earthquake is involved. Uh, There are the earthquakes which apparently precede or accompany the coming of the lost ten tribes in the north, and the earthquake interrupts the Battle of Armageddon. So apparently uh, something's going to happen to the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, The the fifth plague will consist of locusts. Hold on, Mike, before we get to number five. So you're saying... During the Battle of Armageddon, there's going to be an earthquake, and then that's when the ten tribes come. No, no, this is, that's a separate earthquake. It mentions there is an earthquake mentioned with the coming of the ten tribes and a separate earthquake at the Battle of Armageddon, both of which could be wrapped up in this plague that blots out the sun. Yeah, get your calamities right, Jesse. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, Thanks. Thanks. The fifth plague will... Con- Consist of locusts, which will not hurt the grass trees or any green things, but will attack only those men who have not had the seal of God on their foreheads. They will torment men for five months. They're described by John like an army coming to battle, and it is stated the devil was their leader. 
The seal on your foreheads. Is this the six 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 marks, or is this like the uh, UPC barcode thing? What? Is, this is what, a what QR code for the for the apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, what what is this seal on their foreheads? Is that like metaphorical, or is there actually going to be like you know one of those Chuck E. Cheese rubber stamps you can only see under the <laughs> ultraviolet light? I, I would take it if the, those that are endowed are protected from it. How? Like, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Oh, what does that mean? Because they'll know, they'll. They'll that means wear your sign. garments. Yeah. Yeah, it's your Masonic symbol. It means the name of Christ is sealed upon you. Uh, so. No. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's good. Okay. Now, the next thing you want to talk about is the atom on diamond and what happens there. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait. How, how, where are we on your pages here, brother? Because. Well, a lot of these things overlap. Um. I mean, do you see the light at the end of the tunnel in your notes? Uh, I got one page left after this. Oh, All right. Wrap it up. Let's go. Quick quick breakdown of uh, Council of Adam on the Almond. Um, let's see. Uh, Adam is in charge of the meeting. Adam comes back as a resurrected being and leads the, leads the meeting. Uh, some of the... Uh, Participants are mortal beings, and some are immortal from beyond the veil that come back, such as Adam. Uh, the Savior is to appear to Adam and receive the dominion of all things. The Council of Mount Avanon will fulfill five purposes. Uh, number one, the keys for each dispensation will be turned over to Adam. Two, the members of the church will be organized into one grand family with Adam as the patriarch. Each priesthood quorum, which has existed down through the ages, will be assigned its place in the government of the church. Uh, D, judgment will be set in addition to judging affairs within the church. The saints are expected to judge the nations then in existence and determine their fate. And power and glory and dominion will be turned over to the Savior. This is all one meeting? Like, couldn't we do some of this over email before or something? No. Well, each, each priesthood person turns to the person in charge of them. And then he turns to the person in charge of him and turns over all the records. Now... Wow, I, I I haven't researched this, but I have it in my mind that this was something that Joseph Smith taught during his lifetime, and that the saints expected would happen in their lifetimes. That 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 was when they were in Jackson County and they were building up Zion. It was like the reason that we're here, the reason we're going through what we're going through is because we're getting ready for this moment, Adam on Diamond. You guys are going to be there. I'm going to be officiating it. Adam's going to come back. You're all going to get to meet him. Then Jesus is going to come. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, there were patriarchal blessings that were saying the same thing. How many times do we have in the history of the church where Joseph went to God and said, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Can we wrap this up? Because they seemed to be expecting that this was right. Now, yeah, why was um, that? But as as we go through and look, I guess he had it wrong. It, it was a great way um, like, of motivating you know, people to action. So so let's go down that slippery slope. So if he was wrong, if he was wrong about that, Mike, what else could he have been wrong about? Well, he, he wasn't wrong that it was going to happen. He was wrong about the time period because he, right. he well, the angels kept telling him, "You're at the head of the last dispensation." Well, dispensation is kind of a tricky word. You know, yeah. how, how long is the dispensation? Yeah, all my predictions in life are also just about timing as well. But Vegas doesn't understand. My wife doesn't understand. I mean, it's just unfortunate <laughs> that they don't believe me. But 
It'll all happen exactly as I said, except for the timing. Bob, if you, if you and your wife have a timing problem, that sounds a little personal. <laughs> okay, uh, very briefly, uh, an important figure arises to deal with the Jews in Jerusalem. He is a prophet king called David, and he is like... Uh, I don't even know how to describe... They describe him as... Uh, He's, he's a big-time prophet. like He's a dispensation head-type figure, this prophet King David. that He's the one that leads the construction of the old temple at Jerusalem to restore it. And you can imagine he's still dealing with all the Palestine issues. And he overcomes this and still manages to get the temple built, which means he's going to have to tear down the Dome of the Rock. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so you can a figure like that that's able to accomplish this task. And he, he leads... He stays in charge of things at this new construction of the temple into the millennium. He's a huge figure. Um, so he, he, his name's going to be David. He's going to be a crossover into dispensations into the millennium. Uh, the ten tribes, some of them will stay in the new Jerusalem, and some of them will return to old Jerusalem to work on the temple and be involved in that. Uh, old Jerusalem gets restored. Animal sacrifice is restored. Uh, and, th- and a key, uh, this is something key, water flows from the new temple after it's built and restores the Dead Sea to fresh water instead of dead water. Uh, after the, the living sea then, right? Well, this is something interesting. The Muslims have a prophecy that a sign of the end times is the waters of chaos will flood from the Dome of the Rock. They said if the rock and the dome is ever disturbed, water will flow and bring utter chaos and destruction to the Muslim world. That's an actual prophecy in the Quran. Uh, and so that, for that to tie into the Christian prophecy that once the temple is restored, water will flow and heal the Dead Sea uh, is just interesting to me personally. Hmm. Uh, okay, then we get into Armageddon, uh, the wealth of the temple once it's restored that's flowing into the temple they, they get so rich and wealthy and prosperous that it attracts in envy there's a enemies list of who ends up attacking the temple i won't get into that it's got to be where the dream mind comes in right <laughs> interesting uh i don't think so but uh, the enemy's list numbers in the millions uh most jews once this attack begins on the old jerusalem will be slain it says two-thirds. Uh, it says the other third are purified. Uh, Jerusalem's under siege for 42 months. That's when the two prophets uh, defend and testify at that time, and then they're killed. Their bodies lie in the street, and the enemies rejoice, thinking they've accomplished something great by killing these two prophets. Um, and after that time period, the prophets rise up and stand, and it terrifies the enemy because they've it was a big deal to them. These guys did, were dead and in the street, but then they stand up. Uh, these two prophets ascend into heaven at that point. Uh, half the city of Jerusalem is taken in captive, and it's at that point Christ appears and splits the Mount of Olives and allows the people to flee to safety. Uh, let's see. I had a quote here. Uh, we're running out of time, though. Uh, the, the Mount of Olives splitting in half creates an earthquake. Uh, the voice of God is heard everywhere. Uh, uh, God goes into the temple. Okay. Uh, all, right. all this stuff's going to happen. So let me let me ask this, Mike. Wait. 
or or anyone. Okay, that's uh, it. Don't don't some of you guys still go to church? When was the last time that you heard any of this stuff taught in a Sunday school lesson, elders quorum lesson, primary, any any place? Does it happen? I've heard part. I've heard parts of it, like just vaguely mentioned. Yeah. In in elders quorum or high priest or stuff like that, but never in any depth because it's pretty it's pretty fringy kind of doctrine stuff. It's. There's a lot of there's a lot of personal interpretation. Like everything, this, this is kind of the question that I was going to ask Mike. Everything that you just said, everything that came out of your mouth here, Mike, do you believe a hundred percent of it? Is that why you kind of used it as your own notes, or do you are you just basically reiterating something that came out of this author's mouth or Orson Pratt's mouth? Do you buy well, into it a hundred percent? A lot of what they say is in the scriptures. Like, I, I skip past quoting all the scripture because, I mean, we ran through this material and we're close to two hours now, right? Yeah. Uh, so, that's so running through the material. Okay, but so for, for the most part, the stuff that you pretty much talked about, these signs of the time, some of these locusts and all these calamities and stuff like that, do you buy into that kind of fringy doctrine? Because most Mormons would be like, yeah, I don't buy any, into any of that stuff. I believe it'll all happen. Tom, oh. I don't think that I don't think that most Mormons would say they don't buy into any of it. I think I don't know, maybe, maybe well, I, think, would, I, think, I think there's a good portion out there who I mean I can tell you at least for people who are close to me or the environment and the church that I grew up in, that I mean maybe not everything quite as specific as what Mike's saying, but like the general idea was pretty much that's pretty much what I was taught, like, by some weird seminary teachers and, like, you know, some people in the ward. And yeah, but everybody, but don't you think that everybody had kind of their own spin or interpretation on it? Sure. There was always, yeah. there was always different variations on it. And, and what you're talking about, Jesse, was like in the 80s when, right. you know, there, there was this hyper tension with the Soviet Union. And yeah, the kids now aren't hearing the same thing. No, you don't have, like, groups like Genesis making a music video that has like apocalyptic <laughs> Muppets and stuff like that was yeah. an awesome video but that's a great video I love that one. but you know like things changed after Y2K right and you just don't <laughs> you don't hear you don't hear this stuff anymore I don't yeah you're right I, I, you're right it's gonna, well I think part of the thing. nuclear Everybody knew the earth was going to be destroyed by fire, which the fire is actually the Holy Ghost. But they thought the fire was going to be a nuclear holocaust. And that the Soviet Cold War, the bomb was always over everybody's head. So I think that's why you had more people talking about it. Yeah, but, and then, then Superman 4 came out. And then everybody's you know, nuclear <laughs> dreams died away. Was that what the one with Richard Pryor? No. no. That was three. I feel like nobody believes it to the degree that they used to, and this is kind of an uncomfortable topic for most Mormons because there isn't alignment, right? Because Mormon is homogeneous in its approach. Like Mormons kind of pride themselves in everybody, at least active Mormons, everybody's kind of on the same page on the core principles. All of this stuff we just went over, you'd think based on the, the gravity of the details that this would be something that people would on and kind of like cross-check and document, but it's not that way anymore. It's like 
in the general sense of the second coming, we believe it's going to happen. But beyond that, it's like, oh, the details aren't important, despite everything. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think that the largest remaining um, remnant, maybe, that's out there in the church right now is the stuff that Tom was hitting on from Mormon doctrine. So that's a book that is still very heavily, it's very influential, it's very widely read, even though they're not printing it anymore, it's you're gonna you're gonna find that in almost every active LDS home on the bookshelf, or that was something. Huge, you know, I mean, it's huge, huge mistake to stop printing it. <laughs> huge but mistake are, to stop printing it. Yes. So yeah. you are going to see, though, Jesse, in about ten, fifteen, twenty years, that the influence of Mormon doctrine, the book, is going to have less and less of influence. On oh, I think the that. Members of I, the church. Yeah, I think that's already the case. Like, yeah. I mean, I was a Sunday school teacher. Um, that's been my most recent calling and the, and those 15 year olds, they didn't, I mean, they didn't, they didn't know this stuff. So what's, what's likely to happen first, the second coming or, uh, the signs of the times turning into blood atonement in terms of the way the church approaches them. Easy. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, I think everybody heads, everybody keeps expecting Christ to drop out of the sky into the Mount of Olives like tomorrow. But I think what we're seeing is, they haven't even started constructing the temple in New Jerusalem or Old Jerusalem. But I think what we're seeing even more to the point, Mike, is be doctrine in the time frame it needs to be doctrine for it to be relevant when it happens, if it were to happen. Yeah, do, do, do people expect that the, that temple's going to be built anymore? Or are they just kind of like, I, I remember hearing, oh, yeah, we're going to have to return to Jackson County, Missouri. That was one of the things that Mike mentioned. But I don't think that people really. No, not doctrine anymore. Anymore. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, that was just something that they thought back in the day. But, you know, that that's part of the, the culture and history. It's not part of the gospel. Well, I think if anybody wants to see something coming, you know, America is going to have a civil war before any of this happens. That, that's clearly taught. So when but that's, it's not that that's clear. The sign. That's the big sign of the time is that America has a civil war before but that happens. But we did. Yeah. Anything no, no, that's, no, no, no. Anything that's not tied to an ordinance or repetitive thing that church members do weekly or monthly or it's part of being a Mormon actively, like those are the things that are going to last. But all the signs of the times, signs of the time stuff, like there's no reason for it to last other than for like scholarly or historical purposes because it's not tied to anything that you do um, in the temple. I mean, it is indirectly, but. Most people don't know where most of what comes from the temple or other ordinances comes from in the first place. So I think this is all just going to fall by the wayside in, in another 10, 20 years. Uh, no. That, that, okay, when you look at the prologate price, that is all the dispensations. That's what the prologate price is, is all the dispensations. And the end of that is Matthew 24. And that is about all of this, is that the, the end... Uh, Everything gets destroyed. The temple gets desecrated. Uh, but Mike, we didn't, those scriptures we didn't get the same. Those scriptures lasted, but let's remember that the books we're citing were published in the '60s, and, and nobody's written a book on the signs of the times in the last 30 years. That's like, you know, gotten any sort of real press in the way that these books have. No, there, there's no, there's no modern day. Yeah, modern. I had another book from the '90s. I started reading that. Uh, I, I I didn't. And what's been the what's been the message the, from 
you know, the, the brethren in general conference. It wasn't like the most recent time it was broached was Packer in the last conference that said, Hey, relax. It's going to be hundreds of years. Something like that. <laughs> he actually did yeah. say that. Yeah, you're right. I remember that. Okay. <laughs> hey, Mike, Mike, I got, I got that one last question for you. Um, when is polygamy coming back? Uh, oh, yeah. I imagine it's a new Jerusalem, I'd imagine. Not soon enough, baby. <laughs> <laughs> they got to repopulate after America gets wiped out. Yeah. Well, I guess if there's 144,000 high priests, they're going to need a lot of a lot of ladies around. Well, yeah, and, and, and somebody's got to do something about these women that are getting jobs and educations. Jeez. No, this is the problem. Uh, in terms of, of women's relationship to the gospel, all this work that these men do to bind and seal and tie is of no use unless the Holy Ghost ratifies the ordinance. And women create homes for the Holy Ghost to live in to, so that these ordinances can be ratified. Without, without women, all this priesthood work is useless. So nice not, try. Not enough room for a... Yeah, that was... Yeah. Women are important because of the home-making stuff that they need to do for the Holy Ghost to be there in the bedroom with the threesome. Okay. Not, There's not no threesomes. Okay. <laughs> Don't dirty as something sacred. I'm sorry. <sighs> but, uh, Glenn, did this go like you? I don't know. Honestly, it just made me cranky. So, anyone for the closing prayer? This is the Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Okay. Apostate darkness covers the earth. Apostate darkness covers the earth. Okay, say, many false churches... Many false churches. Many false churches. Say many false churches. More for churches. No, no. Many. Four. No, no, no. Say, say what I say. Many. Many. False. False. Churches. Churches. Good job. Say. Say. My leg is getting tired of this. What is? My leg. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.